This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Felicity in the building here on a Thursday on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I've got plenty of pollen outside that's giving me a little bit of adversity, all right? Uh, it's so it's funny. that time of season again. I've never been to a show, at least in 2020, this early. Yeah. And we're sitting there like, why are we scrambling around for something? Why exactly. is everything working? All oh, the cameras the are on. We've made yeah. it easy. Home field advantage, Brent. <laughs> home field That's advantage. what they call that. How much will home field advantage matter for San Francisco and Kansas City this weekend? What kind of epic run are we talking about? Not just from Derrick Henry and his run, but the Titans to beat Belichick, Brady, the Patriots on the road, mm-hmm. to beat Harbaugh, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens on the road, to beat Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City on the road, one of the toughest places to play in the National Football League. If the Tennessee Titans were to do that, wow. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the postseason. We've kind of put it aside for the last couple of days. Yeah. Time to ramp that back up as we uh, talk about the NFL postseason and who you expect to see. We won't do predictions. We'll do that tomorrow, Cool. Uh, who you really think will win. But... Uh, I guess pretty good football games. You know, normally if you had told me, like San Francisco and Green Bay, obviously, you could put that one in 1980. You could put it in 1990, yeah. 2000, 2010, 2020. And it's always good, it feels like. Mm-hmm. I'll sign up for it. If you give me Tennessee and Kansas City, you don't do that. You're like, ah, that's not going to get all the draw, right? Ten- but listen, myself included, Tennessee has been one of the most electric and fun teams to watch the last two months of this football season. Not just the last two weeks, the last two months. They were averaging like close to 35 points a game Mm -hmm. down the stretch of the season. So I hate to say that. I hate to admit that. Uh, They still, I look at them and I'm like, I still don't know if I believe it. They they are starting to remind me a lot of the Carolina Panthers from that 15-1 and season where I picked against them all the time. I said they're not really that good and they went to the Super Bowl. So uh, that's Tennessee. Yeah, uh, That's the way it is. The Major League Baseball scandal continues. Carlos Beltran now, before he even manages a game for the New York Mets. There are plenty of rumors going around social media. We were just talking about it. And now some people are squashing those other rumors about the lengths of cheating that Houston went to. I'd be careful what you believe right now on social media on that front. The bottom line here is Major League Baseball thought they had a huge problem, and they have tried to squash this thing as quick as possible, and so have the baseball teams. Uh, Jessica Mendoza, who now works for the Mets, actually called out the guy that was the whistleblower on all of this, and I think that was not received very well, and probably rightfully so. I mean, you know, people don't like tattletales, but the bottom line is there should be some protection for whistleblowers to a degree. When you're talking about things of this nature, this scope, I mean, this is for the betterment of the game that people have learned about this. How long would this go on? How long does it become part of it? Isn't it how we have gotten in trouble a little bit with the NCAA and football and basketball and some of the cheating that goes on there? It just kind of happened. It became part of the culture. It's now normal. That's what people do. And nobody blinks an eye or few people blink an eye. And then it's really hard to squash it. So uh, talk a little bit about that. And speaking of Odell Beckham Jr., man. Yeah. What is going on there? Way to take the shine off LSU. <laughs> and what could happen with the NCAA? One more thing about the MLB. Brett Myers uh, texted me earlier today, and he's going to give us a buzz. Um, former pitcher for the Astros. Uh, this will be interesting to see what kind of cheating has gone on. Sure. And pitchers, uh, I said it yesterday, have gotten away with it 
for a long time with the pine tar, mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of what lengths you go. So it'll be interesting to talk to Brett Myers around 4 o'clock about that. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr., pretty wild right now. I got a question about Todd Wash and the Jaguars. It looks like Todd Wash is staying. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at that. And by the way, get in line for the people that are unhappy with everything going on with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. It's not good. Because there's not a good buzz in town about the Jaguars. There's um, a bad feeling yeah. about everything that comes out of Jags headquarters right now. It, it just is not received well. And this is one of them, by the way. People wanted Todd Wash gone, a different thing. But I have a twist on the Todd Wash conversation. Could it potentially help keep Yannick Ngakwe here in Jacksonville? Is there a good relationship there? And and I say that uh, kind of the black and white issue of this, that gets muddy because franchise tags and whether, you know, although he has some power as a free agent, he really doesn't because yeah. if the Jags want to keep him here, they can keep him here. But does it maybe give them a better chance of keeping Yannick happy, maybe getting him paid long term, maybe him playing on a franchise tag with a guy like Todd Wash because he knows him, knows the system, has a good relationship with him? So it's funny because Marcel Robinson and I talked about this a little bit last week. And we said, you know, set aside from the money, what can you do to keep Yannick Ngakwe? Because once again, I don't know Yannick Ngakwe personally. But Marcel and I both agreed that he seems like a very pri- proud, uh, a prideful individual. And it seems like a little bit of that trust, um, a little bit of that pride was tarnished, whether it was with the, the Tom Coughlin stuff, whether it was with players getting paid before Yannick Ngakwe, or whether it was with him not getting his new contract that he was seeking out. So now let's fast forward to after the season. You know, he, he plays on his rookie deal. All things considered, I think it worked out well for him. He's in line now to make a lot more money, obviously, going into this season. And the question is whether Todd Wash can help him stay. And to me, it's a catch-22. Because a part of me wants to say, well, yeah, because players love a little bit of comfort, right? Players um, embrace the fact that you play in a system that you know, obviously. You you play around a position coach that you know. Because, listen, it's, it's one of your worst nightmares when you, get, when you go to a new team and you find out your position coach is kind of a lunatic, all right? And I don't think Todd Wash is that kind of guy. I think Todd Wash, you know, has been very supportive of the Yannick Ngakwe, and I think he's showed that he values him on the team, right? Todd Wash isn't the guy that's trying to write these new deals for new players. So I think from that standpoint, it's okay. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, does Yannick Ngakwe's trust feel violated with this team? And is Todd Wash a part of that? And I don't know the answer to that. Right where it's if you've kept the, the old regime, and even though Doug Marone, you know, always has Yannick Ngakwe's back as well. But when you keep the old regime, you get rid of Coughlin, but most of the parts are still the same. Well, those are the same parts that were here last year, and those are the same parts, in my opinion, that Ngakwe kind of has felt violated a little bit with. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to ask you more about that, and I also want to ask you a couple of them. Put yourself in Yannick Ngakwe, Josh Allen's kind of situation from a playing scheme standpoint. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions about that. So uh, we'll lead off with that in just a moment or two. But a couple other things. River City Rumble Part 1 tonight over at Swisher Gymnasium. Uh, the UNF basketball team 3-1 and one in A-Sun play uh, visits uh, Jacksonville University Dolphins. So uh, that's on the horizon, 7 o'clock tip. I'll be over there live for television uh, right after this show on Fox 30 and CBS 47. But always good game. Well, it's not always, but usually good game. Overtime last year at Swisher Gymnasium, UNF has won five out of the last six now over there on the campus of JU, and the last six games have 
been decided by seven points or less. So it uh, should be a, a good one tonight. JU comes in one and two, so it's a big game for them. But I think it's a big game for UNF, too, because to me, UNF and Liberty are the best teams in the A-Sun. And Liberty comes into Jacksonville next week to play UNF. So I don't think the Ospreys want to be riding a two-game losing streak mm-hmm. going into that one. And they could really lose some positioning in the A-Sun. As it shapes up right now, you want that number one seed so badly for home court in the postseason tournament in the A-Sun. So I think UNF has the ability, even though that was a bad loss, I think, to NJIT on Saturday. They have a chance uh, here against JU to get back on the right track, maybe steal a win over Liberty. And then that number one jockeying, that top seed jockeying, uh, then goes into effect once again in the A-Sun. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, a lot to get to. We also have a big party coming up tomorrow. Yeah, we do. And uh, the food has been ordered. We are going to have a ton of food. Good. The gifts and the prizes and everything else, all right here. It's a long list. Who's put that together? We should have some special guests. Most likely it's spelled wrong. Yeah, most likely it's spelled wrong, but I can at least make it out. So that's a plus. Um, from uh, Stuff from the Jacksonville Giants, the Players' Championship, Palm Beach Autographs, uh, Gardner Minshew Jersey, uh, and our grand prize is going to be really cool. A uh, bunch of different tickets uh, for, for the folks that come by, uh, including music tickets, Orlando Magic against Milwaukee Buck tickets, uh, and uh, Do we have Gardner to give those Mitchell away, or jersey. can those just magically maybe... It's the, uh, it's the weekend. We're going to be up in Charleston. Uh, the... Oh. I know. I already tried. <laughs> Never mind then. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see about that. And uh, a gas card Things as can well. change, Goose. So anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about the party. But uh, if you're you're coming tomorrow, uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. And uh, look forward to having you. But I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I tweeted today, if you don't come, I'm going to have a lot of food to eat. And we will have a lot of food to eat. because there are, Meal prepping for be, the whole month, oh my gosh. I like that. There's going to be so much food. Yeah. It's, it's a hard thing. You never know. I mean, we might have two people show up. We might have 100 people show up. Yeah. Um. I just kind of planned for 50. <laughs> so I'll we'll see it. what happens between uh, um, everybody that comes uh, tomorrow. Our show with a live studio audience tomorrow right here at the station, uh, 3 p.m. until 6 p.m. One other thought, man, and I want to get your thoughts on this today and tomorrow, but the McGregor fight. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, what, what, quick thought on yeah. this fight. How big of a fight is this in general? Yeah. Cowboy Cerrone sure. and McGregor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's getting a lot of love. It's got a lot of love from ESPN, but that's because they have the UFC stuff now. You yep. know, they'll they'll pump they'll pump up tiddlywinks if they own it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, it, 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 they have, if they have cornhole on TV, they're gonna be breaking yes, it down. They will. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a little bit of that going on for but, sure. Uh, from a casual, yeah, like it feels like an event to me. Okay, absolutely. Like, I, I'm, good, int- I'm interested in the MMA and the UFC because of, of you, mm-hmm. probably more than I have ever been before. Yeah. But I'm actually like tuned into this. Like I want to see it. I I want to see how it shakes out. And it's created that event kind of atmosphere on Saturday. Yeah. Out there in Vegas. How big is it though from an actual fighting UFC storyline, McGregor career, Cerrone career kind of uh, indicate? And you can expand on this a little bit later. But, I will. But give us a well, cliff notes. Yeah, a little cliff notes. A little, you know, just a little teaser here. So th- th- this fight is interesting for a lot of reasons. And number one, I mean, let's be honest here. Donald Cerrone, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, he's a big name. But Conor McGregor is the guy that's going to bring the eyeballs to this pay-per-view card. The question is, is 
how much are those eyeballs still interested in, though? Because this is a guy in Conor McGregor who we've talked about on the show, Brent. He's been through a lot the past couple years, right? Whether it's with the, the police in New York, whether it's with punching an old dude in, in Ireland. Um, he's throwing something through a bus th- throwing window. Throwing something through a bus window. He, he's been in the tabloids. He's been in the papers for all the wrong reasons. So the big question is, is are our fans still in tune to it, right? Because don't forget, Conor McGregor's last fight didn't go so well, all right? I mean, he, he, he was outmanned, outclassed, and... It wasn't really close to a fight at all against yeah. Khabib. So this fight will be big from the perspective of the UFC, of ESPN, to say, is Conor McGregor still that guy? And uh, I'll talk about that more going forward yeah, here we'll, on the show uh, today. We'll have a thought or two on that uh, today. It's more but a little bit uh, more in length coming up later on in the show. When we come back. Todd Wash looks like he's sticking around in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. How shocked are you of that? And does that help the Jaguars in the Yannick Ngakwe situation, in whatever situation transpires in 2020 does it help let's talk about that next on espn 690 star star 690 the number if you want to check in on that subject or many more what is what is your last 12 hours been like um well first of all there was about 45 minutes of sleep um we got in at like 7 30 last night i don't know where we went don't ask me where we went because i you went out to bars we went somewhere did you not just get mobbed I don't know. <laughs> to be honest. Did you have a, a police escort into a bar? I think we had a little section. Oh, man, that's but awesome. we went out with like all the former players. So that was a lot of fun. Did Odell give you money? Um Yeah, I, I don't I'm not a, I'm not a student athlete anymore, so I can say yeah. Yeah, that's sick. Well, that was Joe Burrow on Pardon My Take. <laughs> Was, I mean, was that the morning after? I was going to say, was he like... To put it in context, toast? those guys were out partying for like two days straight, and that's them sitting in a hotel lobby essentially talking to each other. Like, I saw the video of it. Oof. They were in rough shape. Yeah. I feel like I was listening to Tyson podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know... Stop me, okay? I, I might have to. I'm not sure where you're going with this. Just I'm ready. Stop me from the... Like, I, I don't care about this stuff. Okay. But we know how everybody else does care. Correct. Right? Like, I didn't care about the whole Blake Bortles beach bar stuff and all that. Sure. This guy just won a national championship. Go have fun. Yeah. But is it the best look to go on a show the next day and 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 sound like you're almost still in the can? You know what I mean? I mean, is, is, that, is that a... I mean, people in Cincinnati are like, please just don't get arrested. Please don't do anything stupid. Please, yeah. like, that whole front office is probably like, please, you're like our guy for the next 15 years. Like, we know it. We already could run the thing up to the podium. Please don't be a dumbass here yeah, yeah. in the next few months. Please don't. And, and, again, this is – I understand this is just one little situation. You're like, Brent, shut up, dude. I mean, he can go do whatever. I get yeah. it. But we also are very judgmental. And I, I think in that position, we've talked about it with Baker Mayfield before. Without equity built up, like that, that the season at LSU in in five six months doesn't matter anymore mm. for Joe Burrow. So I just I, I would say, all right, that's cool, that's fine. Everybody knows that you're like tired. You you had fun the other night. You're of age. You didn't yeah. do anything illegal. No, nothing like that. That's fine. But I just would say the perception hey, is hey, what you're worried like, about. Don't do this for the next three months. Don't be going on these shows and be. I mean, to a degree like Bortles. Bortles, it was fun. It was hilarious. But did you see any other quarterback going on those shows mm-hmm. and, and being questioned and saying these funny, random, goofy things? 
not really. Yeah. Not really. See, In that position, it's a tough position to do that. See, this is a tough position to do that, Brent. First of all, I think with Joe Burrow, he's built up enough equity where he can get away with this, in my opinion. Right? Absolutely. Because Absolutely. You, you've won a Heisman Trophy. You're for sure going to be the number one pick of the draft. So, like, to me, you know, this doesn't obviously hurt your stock. Um, scouts aren't going to be, like, in the, in, the, in the combine meetings now, like, oh, so you like to drink a little bit. Like, doesn't matter, man. I'm the first pick of the draft. I'll do whatever I want, man. I'll, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll do a beer bong right here in the meeting if I want to. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's the power that Joe Burrow has. And even to be fair, Baker Mayfield kind of had that, too, a little bit, right? He I mean, the, there was a sense, but there was still kind of, like, well, he wasn't the automatic number one. He wasn't the number one. Exactly. No he was the Heisman winner, but, you know, the Browns obviously fell in love with him. But you know, he also had some red flags was getting arrested, running from the he cops. Did. You saw the videos of that. Burrow so, said all the right things. Burrow's always yeah. said all the right things. So to me, this is a kid that's just you know having a blast and partying a little bit and enjoying the championship, as you should. You've earned it. You put the work in. Now go reap the benefits. Go reap the rewards. I understand that standpoint. But let's be honest, though, Brent, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but there is a double standard, right? Like where if this was a wide receiver on, uh, on this Barstool interview, no one would even talk about be like, this that's right what now. wide receivers do. Exactly. Right? But, but, but but there is a double standard, right? Like with the Blake Bortles going to the beach bars. Like you said, you don't see every other quarterback doing that. And I agree with you because you don't. Because I think for the most part, quarterbacks in the NFL are, you know, that home and they're quote unquote watching film. Maybe they, they have <laughs> yeah. a whiskey or a scotch, but you don't imagine them out in the bars in a social environment. And a part of me wants to say, well, that's kind of wrong, right? Because I think what Burrow's doing here is, listen, Barstool Sports, I don't watch a lot of it. I don't listen to a lot of it, but I get it, right? Like, to me, it paints the picture of an athlete more in a human form. It brings him down a level. Yeah. And I think that's what Joe Burrow's trying to do here. He's trying to show, like, you know what? Yeah, I'm a national winning quarterback, a national championship winning quarterback. I'm a Heisman Trophy winner. I'm just trying to be like everybody else, man. I'm trying to show, you know what? Yes, I, I say these crazy press conferences, and I'm very well-spoken and everything like that, and I'm this leader, but I still want to be treated like everybody else. So I think it's just him trying to remove some of that double standard a little bit. You know, like, it was funny. When I when I would hang out with Sam Bradford in Pensacola, we are training for the Combine. We are training for the combine at the same place called API. And, you know, at the time, Sam Bradford was the Duke, right? He yeah. won the Heisman Trophy. Everyone thought, all right, he's probably going to be the top pick. Like, he, he was all set up. And it was funny to watch him interact with the public. It was funny to watch him just even go out in public in general and, like, interact with somebody at Subway, right? Because the whole time he had to put on an act. Yeah, yeah. He, he had to come across as this all-American guy. But when we're lifting weights together and when we're eating dinner together, dude, he was funny, man. He was hilarious. Like I enjoyed my time with Sam Bradford, but he had to turn it on and off. And I think here it's, just, it's, it's a standpoint where the times are changing a little bit, and Joe Burrow's just like, you know what? I'm going to come back down to the, you know, to the society's level a little bit, and let's take the double standard out of it. Yeah, and that's cool. Listen, here's the deal. Uh, I, I said I don't have a problem with. It. I, I yeah. know it sounds like old stodgy. I'm just talking about reality. We will judge based on these kind of moments. And so, hey, one off to whatever. You got to be careful of it. And that's what I said about Baker Mayfield. And when I joked earlier, like last year, when I said chugging a beer at the Cleveland well, game, I was like, right. here comes five and eleven. You're right. But I mean, I was kidding. Like I don't have a problem with him chugging a beer. That's cool, man. It kind of does relate. I kind of liked all that stuff about Blake Bortles. Mm -hmm. But what I'm asking you is, do those things correlate to a lot of success? on the football field because I haven't seen too many of that. You bring up Joe Namath. That was a long time ago, okay? Joe <laughs> Namath. And, you know, what's interesting is Aaron Rodgers, okay? Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, I think you brought this up recently, chugs the beer right with the offensive lineman that's, at the Bucks. That's game. how it all got started in the first yes. place. So he chugs it. Yeah. And then the other day, after this, I'm going to go have a, 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 scotch, a thing of scotch, said, right? right? Which, wow, Aaron, that's a pretty aggressive drink there, but I, I see you. But my point is he wouldn't have said that 
in year one, two, three of his career, I don't think. I don't think he would have done yeah. either. I don't think he would have been at a Bucks game. Chug, he, he builds up equity where now now that is the cool. Hey, that does bring him down to our level. This sure. superstar guy, hey, he chugs a beer to it again. Awesome. Good. Yeah. He's going to go have some scotch tonight. That's what we all would do. Absolutely. Maybe not have scotch, but uh, maybe it's Johnny Walker Blue, I would think. Right? <laughs> now but we're talking. You get my point. You know, just from I, her, I, I'm yeah. not saying it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's reality. No, I understand what you're saying, Brent. I think a big problem, obviously, is when you look at the Bradys and the Mannings, like, those guys, they appear to be the, the cookie-cutter, clean guys, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe they have a drink here and there, but you don't ever see them out doing these interviews hungover and things of that nature. But they're and, also and the I most successful that. of all time. Well, well exactly. And, and one could even go to billionaires, right? Like, you don't see a lot of billionaires on Twitter, right? Like, you, you don't see Shad Khan <laughs> trying to deal with the trolls on Twitter, right? Like, he, he's got he's got billionaire problems to worry about. <laughs> okay, so I, I get that standpoint. But at the end of the day, it's like I said, I just think this is a kid who wants to come across to the audience of just, hey, man, I'm just like everybody else. I'm still a college kid. You know, I still like to have fun and everything. And that's the thing, Brent. We're we're so concerned about branding now in the modern era NFL player. Well, you got to ask yourself, obviously wins and losses are the most important part of the NFL with branding even. But you have to ask yourself, is it better to maybe come across in some of these interviews where you're a little hungover and you're like, you know what, people listening, I'm like, I can I can relate to that guy. I was, I was in New Orleans once and I was hungover too, man. Like, I've been there. Can you help actually help your brand with interviews like that, set aside from hurting your brand? Yeah. Well, you can if you play well. Yeah, that's what, that's what it comes if, down to. If you to. do both, then you're like the coolest guy on the planet. Sure. And by the way, and this is, we don't have instances, but a little bit of that is Gardner Minshew. Correct. Right? And we haven't seen him, but that's my point. Gardner Minshew sets off, like right now, I got a feeling he's out in Vegas partying it up, man, like the rest of us would be. <laughs> absolutely. Right? Yeah. That's kind of what you think, and you're absolutely okay with it. And you love watching him play football and run around. He kind of plays that game, too. But we're not necessarily seeing it. Yeah. You know, that doesn't come across in an interview. That doesn't. He's not Instagram posting him like but, falling down, whatever, but, in, in Brent, Vegas or in the RV or whatever else. Yeah, no, you're right. But let's be fair though. If Gardner Minshew, you know, last year when he was in college, went on Barstool Sports and he tells a story about when he was drinking whiskey, trying to break his hand with the hammer. If that story comes out, I mean, to me, that's more of a red flag than even coming in hungover. Because <laughs> I'm like. Yeah. Dude, you try to break your own hand with the hammer? Like, are you are you okay? Like, I mean, is this are you mentally fit to play quarterback? Well, what happened this year, man? He he had a hell of a rookie season. He's probably going to be the guy going forward now. And that, that 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 interview, you know, never came out. But if it did, we'd have been sitting here after the Senior Bowl, whatever, saying, you know what, man, this Gardner Minshew kid, if the Jags get him, I don't know, man. Did you hear that interview with him trying to break his own hand? But I think you bring up a great point because Minshew didn't do it. Yeah. Like, he's the ultimate barstool guy, right? He's yeah. the ultimate guy. But And, and I, I'm just saying barstool, you know, anything it, it, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that genre. He's the ultimate guy for that, but he didn't. Yeah. That's my point. I got you. So you, you, you can come across as that guy, but do you have to do it? Mm-hmm. And you can pick your spots, by the way. Again, I'm not opposed to it. It's just uh, me personally, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Go win football games, go play well. I'm just saying it makes you you, you get judged yeah, and and you get labeled. Sure. Um, if you do it too many times, again, it's... Bortles dealt with that. And by the way, he was playing poor at the time too. Yeah. So then he had to deal with that. How much of that was reality? Nobody still knows how much of that was reality. But the perception was Bortles was on the bar every night, out the beach, and Saturday nights before a game, and that's why he threw three interceptions. I mean, that was like the narrative. Yeah. But that wasn't reality. You're but... telling me he was showing up at the stadium, you know, after yeah. a, a big night out Sunday morning. I don't buy it. I don't think it was happening. But you got to understand, Brent, we're not living in a time anymore where we can accept these cookie cutter, just, you know, these 
goody goody type of leaders. You know, like I'm, I'm reminded of like Tim Tebow and like take the religion out of it. But a lot of people had a problem with Tim Tebow, right? Like this dude's too perfect. Too perfect. There yeah. has to be something wrong with him. Look, look, look at Nick Foles this season. Yeah. Dude, like, yeah, obviously Nick Foles is very, um, you know, deep in his faith, and that's awesome, man. More power to him. But a lot of people had the way, you know, that, that had problems with the way Nick Foles came across in the interviews, right? Because he kind of came across as this goody goody type of person. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you have Gardner Minshew calling people in the media, you know, by, by the wrong name and things like that. <laughs> and people gravitated towards that. So I just think the entire landscape overall, I think the, the days of that perfect goody goody cookie cutter quarter quarterback. Those days are starting to fade away now, but now you have to find the right balance, and, yeah, yeah. and, and that's the key. You, you can't go off the other side and be like, well, look at me. I'm partying on nonstop. I'm like Rob Gronkowski. No, I still agree with the, with the quarterback position. There still is a double standard. You have to abide by. There is. It's a fascinating one it to is. me. You know, it really is. And, uh, and, and one, and by the way, the fans and everybody on the outside can change. Yeah. The quarterback never, that guy in that position has no rebuttal to it. Yeah. There isn't. It's just play well. Play well, and you can do whatever the hell you want. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Sure. It's as simple as that. Yeah. All right, I, I, I teased a little bit of Wash and Yannick Ngakwe. Let's get into that next. Uh, Star Star 690, if you have any thoughts on that. Yannick Ngakwe's situation is a real one, and it looks like Todd Wash is sticking around. Could it actually help next on ESPN 690? It gave us some confidence, you know. Uh, coming off of, of a loss at Carolina, then you know coming back home and, and being able to beat a, a really good team late in the fourth quarter, came back a couple times in that game. Uh, down, I think, nine in the fourth quarter, being able to come back and get that win. Defense stepping up huge, uh, and then offense making some plays to, to get the points on the board. Uh, it just gave us a lot of confidence that, uh, you know, we, we, can be, we can be really good teams and uh, kind of springboarded us and gave us confidence that, that just kept growing as the season went on. That's Ryan Tannehill, Titans quarterback. Incredible. Help turn him around, even though he's really not doing much in the playoffs. I mean, I, I, do you remember even a play or a throw that's been like, wow? Well, he's had like 20 of them total, Brenton, the entire playoffs. I know. I mean, yeah. he's, got, he's got, I think, uh, 150, 160 yards throwing in two games. Here's the question, though. Do you pay him? Well, listen, it's a great question for the Titans organization. There's two ways to go about it, but they need to learn. See, I, I don't necessarily think they learn as much from, say, you learn from the Jags because you're cautious. Yeah. But keep in mind, if the Jags had gotten a, another year, if Blake Bortles had played a good year in 2018, which he was on track for after the first quarter of the season, well, then that deal was not a bad deal. They just got nothing after the first month of the season. And so it was like a two-year deal. So there's no – your protection as a franchise is probably the Jacoby Brissett deal. Hmm. I think it was like a two-year – $20 million deal or something like that, which is like, prove it again. Mm-hmm. And they, again, this organization gave two quarterbacks big deals that nobody else was like knocking on their door. That That's the big thing about this organization here in Jacksonville. How many people were going to pay Blake Bortles? Like, what was the leverage he had? And what was the leverage Nick Foles, quite frankly, had? Now, that being said, in quarterback money today, they weren't these incredibly outrageous deals. They really weren't. I mean, if you're paying a quarterback 18 to 22 million dollars, that is not egregious in today's day and age. It just isn't. That's average. That's 16th, 17th in the league. Mm-hmm. But you got to get production out of them. And so when it flops, it looks awful. So I would caution Tennessee. Not that I'm in the business of giving them good advice if they lose, <laughs> but I would caution them to more look at the like look at these two deals the Jags made, and then look at their own division at a deal like. They made with Brissett, the Colts, yeah. and say, 
give him more like that. You know what? He's earned something. But then you get to still decide if he's our guy going forward because he might have just had a six-week stretch that was incredible. And I think you have to be on guard about that. And I think they have every right to be on guard about that. I wouldn't just hand over the bank to to him. And there's there's recent history in their own division that showcases why you don't do that. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I mean, I think we're talking about handing over the bank. You take care of Derrick Henry first, obviously, and then you see what happens with Ryan Tannehill. You know, I mean, Derrick Henry is your top priority, obviously. It's just interesting, though, Brent, because this echoes so much of Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, where, yes, Ryan Tannehill hasn't had the most prestigious um, track record in the playoffs according to his stats. But guess what, man? The dude's in the AFC Championship game right now. And to be fair, he got him to that point during the regular season. I think he had two or three, you know, game-winning touchdowns that propelled the Titans in the playoffs in the regular season. So you can't knock that either. So just because the guy isn't really putting these big numbers in the playoffs, don't forget who was the big part of you going to the playoffs in the first place. Because I'll tell you right now, Marcus Mariota wasn't getting the job done. No, he wasn't. Uh, so I'll be interested to see what they do. Here's the deal, too, with Tennessee. It's not like they have a top-10 pick awaiting. Correct. So how do you remedy the QB situation is a fair question. I know Jackson's be like, hey, send him Nick Foles. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Can we interest you in a nice Nick Foles? Yeah. All right, let's get to this part of it before we move on to some other things. Uh, and we will get back to the NFL playoffs and Derrick Henry and this run by the Titans, which really, if you add it up, is pretty incredible. Uh, but they still feel like the fourth best team going. Uh, if you look at the other teams in this Final Four, and I don't think there'd be much argument there. That's not just me hating the Titans. but uh, And disrespect of them like I usually do. Oh, you always do, Brent. But the uh, Todd Wash is still... On the Jags coaching staff. Hmm. There has been very little movement outside of John D. Filippo. And there's been very little noise and conversation out of Jags headquarters because of it. Or on that front. I don't know if we're going to get any soon. I know we have been told in the media that Doug Marone will comment once an offensive coordinator is hired. That's when we've been told he'll talk Which next. Hopefully it will be sooner than better, I mean, you would think. Uh, I, we're, we're getting ready quiet. for the Senior Bowl, and we're getting ready for the – I mean, now, you know, like, I think time is of the essence here. Well, you know, first of all, there's a lot of guys floating around still out there. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, I was a little surprised Steve Filippo didn't maybe wait it out a little bit longer. He went, bam, right yeah. away to be a QB coach in Chicago. Yeah. And now they've got so many layers there. You see that? they got a passing game coordinator. they got a QB coach. Yep. And they got an offensive coordinator. It's like, hey, hey, Mr. Trubisky, if it ain't going to be this year, it may not be ever. Yeah, but yeah. there is too many cooks in the kitchen. We just experienced that here in Jacksonville sure. on a, an executive level, I think. Mm-hmm. And you wonder if there might be too many in Chicago, but they're trying to help them out. And to D. Filippo's credit, everywhere he's been, the quarterbacks have played well. I mean, again, he deserves credit for Minshew. Absolutely. Some way, shape, or form deserves some credit. He also deserves fault for this offense being putrid in the red zone and not scoring enough points. It goes hand, it, it can be both. Correct. Certainly can. So, where are they on the offense coordinator front? I don't know. I would say from my history here, <laughs> and we've gone through this several times, whether it's new coaches or new coordinators or new assistants, the senior bowl actually is a good, a kind of like a, milestone timeline of on the calendar mm-hmm. of when a lot of this stuff gets vetted and, and completed. Sometimes coaches will wait because that's almost like a coaching convention there it in is. Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. So sometimes there'll be a little bit of that. Now, Marone in the past has not gone to the Senior Bowl all the time. And quite frankly, I'm getting a little bit of word that he might not go this time around, too, as he continues to look for an offensive coordinator. So we'll see. But we don't know that 100% yet. So I would say next week, I'm not as, they just let go of the Filippo Monday. 
And, and in my opinion, that wasn't necessarily Doug Marone when he exited the season say, I need to make a change in offensive coordinator. Again, we'll ask Doug when he when he talks to us. But I believe that sincerely was mutual. And it might have been more DeFilippo. Now, this is me. Mm-hmm. We talked about it earlier in the week. We, uh, I think, and I don't, know, I don't want to put you in this, I think the organization, meaning Marone and Caldwell and those people, want to go with Minshew. I think they're riding with Minshew. I think that's part of their plan. Again, me talking. Mm-hmm. I think DeFilippo, loyal guy to Nick Foles, maybe disagrees with that philosophy, and you could certainly see a coach disagreeing with that philosophy and saying, well, I think we need to go with this guy, yeah. especially since he is loyal to him. And yeah. if you had that disconnect alone, that might be reason to say, all right, we're going to go our separate ways. That's the way I viewed this. I don't think this was just lingo in a press release to say we didn't fire him. I think this was maybe mutually was fact to say we're just not on the same page here moving forward in 2020. Oh, I absolutely I absolutely agree with you, Brent. You know, and we've talked about it before. The relationship between John DeFilippo and Nick Foles, it, it is apparent, right? DeFilippo was there in Philly when he won a Super Bowl. They have that bond, and then DeFilippo was a major reason, I believe, why Nick Foles came to Jacksonville in the first place. So I, I completely agree with you there where... I'm sure the word in the street, especially in that, you know, in, in that building in Jacksonville is the fact that Gardner Minshew is the guy going forward. So I agree with you there. And make no mistake, like, when Philly was looking for a new offensive coordinator, I'm like, oh, well, this makes too much sense, right? Like, DeFilippo probably wants to put his name in the hat there and, you know, go back to where he came from. I understand that. But to go to Chicago and essentially take a job where it's not an OC position, no. you know, it's Bit of a demotion. It, it, it is a demotion. I mean, I don't know if that's a testament to saying, well, geez, how, how much of a mess was it behind the scenes of of the coaches, you know, getting along with each other? How much of a mess was it the fact that DeFilippo wanted Nick Foles and he wasn't going to get Nick Foles as the starting quarterback? We may never know until the book comes out. But I think it's fair to say that this was indeed mutual because for someone just to say, you know what, I'm out of here, go to Chicago and kind of get demoted, like you said, um, that's kind of a rare occurrence. So there's something to be said for that. Not only that, man, two days later, he jumps at a chance to go to Chicago where they don't have a very good quarterback and they all could be fired next year if the season doesn't go well. So it's sure. an interesting situation to latch on to if you're Dee Filippo. But again, we need some more answers out of Jags headquarters before we can for sure know. Yeah. And quite frankly, I don't know. I really don't uh, how that all went down. Uh, but that's what we're guessing, and we're kind of on the same page in our guessing. Okay, so that so my point is, don't panic yet on the OC. Okay. It's been two days, two and a half days, and I don't think you're going to get person one on your list and maybe two on your list. I think you're down to three, four, maybe even five on your list because pretty deep in the Rolodex. They too know that this might be a one year deal to Jacksonville to try to save things and 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 figure it out. That being said, no movement on the Todd Wash front, which I think is a clear indication that he's going nowhere. I think a move would have been made by now. There are others out there, although Schwartz is not out there, right? Oh, I guess he is. His contract ran out. Mm-hmm. But there's no movement yet. They, they haven't announced a D.C. in Philly or anything like that, right? Not, not that I believe. I don't think I've missed that. Uh, so, uh, And Wade Phillips is out there. He is out there. 72-year-old Wade Phillips. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it. You, you've th- you broke down both defenses. We had a conversation last week about this. Yep. Could they be appealing? The bottom line here is, and this is news that nobody wants to hear in Jacksonville, because they really they want scapegoats. They want people gone when you don't win. And quite frankly, they wanted the whole regime gone. And when they didn't get that, they're like, okay, Tom Coughlin, that's one thing. But what about Todd Wash? Todd Wash became the next guy. If you're going to bring Doug Barone and Dave Colwell back, well, Todd Wash better be gone. Well, that's not happening. It doesn't look like. 
So the conversation here is, are you shocked at that? And how much could this have to do with singularly a guy like Yannick Ngakwe and trying to keep him, maybe make him happy, repair some of the damaged relationships there? And I guess a third part of that would, will it work? So there's a lot of questions on the line. Are you shocked? That Wash is still here in Jacksonville. It looks like he might survive this thing. Am I shocked? I'm, I'm absolutely shocked. Yes. Um, if I was to hedge a bet and the season was just out, I would say Todd Wash probably wouldn't have lasted another two weeks in Jacksonville. I, I thought for sure um, he was gone. All right. And once again, I got nothing but respect for Todd Wash, man. I, I, I've got to play with him, you know, play for him a little bit. Um, I think he's a great dude. But this defense this year was an embarrassment. Okay, they, they they underachieved on every single level. Now, yes, you got Josh Allen that came in, um, showed a bright spot. Clayus Campbell got a Pro Bowl vote, but even Clayus Campbell, I think he would be the first to tell you, he didn't really play, I think, to his all-pro capabilities like he has the past couple seasons. And then Yannick Ngakwe. But besides that, Brent, you know, the, the, there wasn't a lot um, to be excited about. Maybe DJ Hayden, but now I'm kind of grasping at straws a little bit. So from the perspective of, of the Jaguars' defense, Going into this past season, that was supposed to be the identity. That was supposed to be the thing, regardless of the quarterback situation with Foles, regardless of, well, are their wide receivers going to be great, regardless of, well, is Leonard Fournette going to be good, can he stay healthy, regardless of all that, the one constant that we talked about on the show that everyone was talking about was their defense. Now, yes, Telvin Smith opted to, to leave and, and retire. or you know, We'll see what happens with him going forward. So that kind of threw a wrench in the plans a little bit. But that happens with every single team, whether it's injuries, whether it's unexpected retirements. Every team's got to go through that. So to watch that product on the field, what we saw this year, it was some of the worst defense that I've seen, especially in that five-game span. I mean, I think what really put me over the top was the, the, the San Diego Chargers. I'm sorry, the, the Los Angeles Chargers game, because that was a game where Philip Rivers, well, yeah, everyone's saying he should probably retire. You know, he's he's lost it. Philip Rivers comes to to Jacksonville. Keep in mind, coming from the West Coast, coming to the East Coast, which is always hard to do, and same thing going back and forth from the East to West. Philip Rivers comes in and literally just picks apart the Jaguars' defense, just on command, could kind of go wherever he wanted. I mean, he, he was literally like he was playing a game of man. Like, nobody could stop him and that offense. Austin Eckler out of nowhere, like 200 yards, all-purpose. So you saw these glimpses of man. Th- th- this defense just isn't that good. So if I'm Shad Khan, and I see that, right, because once again, I, I keep saying winning's important, winning's important, well, a lot of the problems this year stemmed on defense. And yes, you lost Jalen Ramsey, but let's be honest here. Let's let's be 100% transparent. Jalen Ramsey being in this season, would he would he have affected those back-to-back-to-back 200-yard rushing games? We don't think so. Absolutely. And, and I'm here to tell you I don't think so either. So if you're Shad Khan, I hope you did your due diligence. I hope that you even sat down with me with Todd Walsh and said, listen, this past year was horrible. It was rancid. It, it, it was not the brand of football that we want to play. How are you going to fix that? And maybe Todd Wash had the right answer. Maybe he said something that piqued Shad Khan's interest. What I don't want to see, though, Brent, is, and we talked about Gardner Minshew being kind of dangled in front of Shad Khan a little bit, right? We talked about where maybe when Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, and Shad Khan all met, they dangled Doug, Gardner Minshew like, hey, man, well, look, at we brought you Gardner Minshew here. A lot of promise going forward. Give us another shot. Let's see how this pans out. It could be well for everybody. Okay, I get that. But then to say, well, did you use Yannick Ngakwe as a bargaining chip? 
I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they did because if Shad Khan's shown anything this season, it's the fact that he takes pride in what players think about him, right? I think when Jalen Ramsey left, I think that devastated Shad Khan. I think when Shad Khan came out and said Jalen Ramsey's going to play uh, this week and then Jalen Ramsey came back and said, nah, I'm not playing this week, um, I think that devastated Shad Khan. And in my eyes, it made Shad Khan look a little bad. Now, you can kind of go back and forth. Yeah, we've disagreed, we've disagreed on disagreed on that, but whatever it is. But needless to say, Shad Khan could have been too happy with that, right? And I think Shad Khan was upset that he had to trade away Jalen Ramsey. So if this is his tool of keeping Yannick Ngakwe is keeping Todd Wash. Well, I think if you're Shad Khan, you're putting a lot of eggs in that one basket because I can make an argument and say, you know what, if you had a clean slate, if you started over on defense, if you brought a new exciting defense and that could, you know, that could feature Josh Allen and Yannick Ngakwe on the field at the same time, if I'm Yannick Ngakwe, that intrigues me a lot more from the defense that I played in this past season. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I think Sha- I think uh, Yannick and, and Todd Walsh probably have a good uh, relationship. Sure. You know, I, I do think there's that. And uh, I, I would say this, if you just did a blind resume type of thing, and this isn't going to sound it's going to sound very defensive, uh, but just, again, I don't mind talking around both sides of these things. Uh, you know, you got you to present both sides. And so if on my resume, I have 2017, which was an unbelievable year, historic year defensively for the Jags. Mm-hmm. 2018, which at least on paper said a top five defense, even though ravaged by injury across the board on the football team, but top five defense in 2018. And in 2019, yeah, we weren't very good. But we also had things that we didn't see coming. Jalen Ramsey, we planned for him to be on our roster. Uh, Telvin Smith, at least going into the offseason, we planned for him to be on our roster. We didn't plan on playing a rookie guy, you know, and, you know, even a Miles Jack didn't plan for him to have a bad season. Is that my fault he had a bad season? Well, maybe it is. I mean, you can, you can well, knock that against me, but because you plan on him to play middle linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. So. But those, even a Marcel Darius to miss the second half of the year. So, I mean, can you go in there and be like, okay, this is my resume. Unbelievable in 17, top five in 18, and 2019 wasn't good. We didn't do a good job. But we think we can, boom, 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 correct it. There's two ways to look at that. One way, it's a downward trend. I don't like downward trends. I'd rather have an uphill trend. Sure. Um, but how many guys across the league, I guess, with that those three years on their resume, would you be like, we're starting all over? It is the NFL. People do start all over in a hurry. So I'm not saying nobody would do it, uh, but I'm also trying to think from what they went in there. And then you add into that, to me, the Yannick Ngakwe situation this offseason, this has been a public relations nightmare for the Jaguars. Mm. They stink on the field. All these comments Shad Khan made from London, now Mark Lamping the last couple of days. Think about anything that could go wrong, has gone wrong. Well, there's one more element of that. By the way, you traded one of your best players away in Jalen Ramsey. Is Yannick Ngakwe. To me, it's the one focal point of the offseason that they have to fix that could help public perception. Well, there's two. Gardner Minshew being the guy going forward is also included in that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And you don't make moves based on public perception or the fans. But those are the two things, I think, in 2020, before they even kick the football off, that could help at least the perception <laughs> of yeah. what has been a nightmare on and off the field, quite frankly, the last four or five months here in Jacksonville. And so he could be that important of a piece. And if Todd Walsh is part of that, 
maybe it helps repair well, that that whole broken relationship. And, and you're right there, Brent, because he is an important part of the piece, right? When when Dave Caldwell and, and Doug Marone kind of came on and they retained their jobs, the first thing they brought up is we have to keep Yannick Ngakwe. And, and that's to priority. a long term. Not a franchise tag. That was the number one priority is keeping him. And if a part of you thinks, you know what, keeping Todd Wash does that, then so be it. I'm from the school of philosophy where I think Yannick Ngakwe is more concerned about the scheme that he plays and then actually, you know, the relationship with the coach. But if it helps, it helps, I guess. All right. If you ain't cheating, you're not trying. Major League Baseball obviously feels that way. Well, not the organization, but some of its teams and, and participants. We'll talk a little bit about that and the latest turn and where this thing could be headed with a former big leaguer. It's up next on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. The yesterday while it was difficult personally for a lot of people, professionally, it was um, ultimately uh, an easy decision for the Red Sox and for Alex. It was a mutual decision. I know corporations, companies sometimes put out these statements that we've mutually agreed to part ways and it might mean something different in this case. It did not mean something different. Alex came to the conclusion that he could not effectively lead the organization going forward, and we came to that conclusion as well. Well, that's Sam Kennedy, president of the Boston Red Sox. And it's funny, we just talked about mutually parting ways and what does it sometimes mean, and he actually said it in his soundbite um, when we're referring to John Filippo for the Jaguars, but he's referring to Alex Cora of the Red Sox. This is deep now. This is unbelievable. I still can't believe the scope of this scandal and the punishment. The the scandal part, the cheating part, you know what? It's sports. We said it yesterday. It almost doesn't surprise me anymore. But the actual punishment on this one is absolutely incredible to this point with A.J. Hinch wins a World Series, suspended and gone. Alex Cora may be suspended, won a World Series, gone. Carlos Beltran, obviously a very good player, and now making that transition to the managerial role for the New York Mets, gone without even ever managing a game for the New York Mets. I mean, this is unbelievable, and it's really sent shockwaves through baseball in those three organizations. And by the way, we're not talking about the Tampa Bay Rays and even the Minnesota Twins or the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're talking about the Boston Red Sox, the New York Mets, and the Houston Astros, who all of a sudden have been one of the best teams and and franchises in the last half of the latest decade. So these are big-time moves in Major League Baseball. Uh, We are about to welcome in former big league pitcher, who played, obviously, in one World Series with the Philadelphia Phillies, lives in the Jacksonville area. Brett Myers also played for the Houston Astros. But prior to that, I mean, we got a very ticked-off, angry, Conor McGregor-esque uh, Austin Lane in the studio because he was kind enough to bring me Chipotle today. I asked him, I said, hey, where are you stopping? Yeah. He said Chipotle. I said, hey, do you mind picking me one up? I even left a little cash here. <laughs> he gave although, me money now. Although I emptied my wallet. This was before you came back. Oh, yeah, And yeah. I probably no, came up dude, a little bit short. You're fine, man. You're good. You're good. So he comes in here, and I'm, I'm already just finished with mine. I couldn't wait well, to was eat. Was it good? It was I'm delicious, this, wasn't it? was fantastic. I'm I would, glad to I would hear it, Brent. Give you some. I'm glad to hear it. I'm on this intermittent fasting. Yeah. I can't wait till 1 o'clock or yeah. then 2 o'clock and looking 3 o'clock great, to eat. man. You're looking great. You're glowing. You're glowing right now. Well, we're about. He comes in, and he takes his container out, and he's about to eat and it all falls out it's all on the floor <clears throat> didn't even well, get a bite all on the floor and all on me too i mean it's not like my shoes really took any damage because my shoes, like you need new shoes no we're all good there <clears throat> i'm gonna 
choose my because you know this could be a potential sponsor down the line. Chipotle, you got really good food, man. Brent just endorsed you guys. Love fantastic it. burrito bowl. Could you find it? And I'm gonna try to cuss here because I'm I'm pretty upset. I'm really hungry. Brent said it was good. I can smell it on the floor right now. I can smell it on my shoe. But could you? Come up with a better way of carrying the burrito bowl, okay? Because my bowl, you watch the footage, go back to the cameras, the integrity of the bowl, Brent, it was compromised. It was compromised. Okay? It and was actually, soggy, and it was compromised. I will tweet out that footage later because that <laughs> is going to be it? fantastic. Uh-huh. I can't wait. There's Do we no have it? It's not on camera. I mean, because I think I was facing the camera, too, when I did it. So, fantastic. All right. Uh, well... Sorry about that. Well, so, sorry to the poor cleaning lady. But, I mean, I'll do it myself. I, like I feel guys, horrible. I no, she doesn't. <laughs> yeah, oh, bro. Don't Brent, say you Brent doesn't know. Well, Brent doesn't know the story behind that. There's one guy that eats in here every day during the show. <laughs> Brent doesn't know the story though. When she came in here and she was complaining because there's a Caesar salad on the floor, and well, I go, "He said it was you." I said it was you. I'm like, "Oh, that's Brent Marno." <laughs> and then as I was walking out the building, I'm like, "All right, I can't lie. It was actually me. I apologize." All right, so. sorry, uh, Brent Myers, for keeping you waiting, but we had to get the food part out of the uh, show. What's up, man? Nothing much, man. Just uh, thought I'd give you all my take on this cheating scandal, I guess. Yeah. I, call I, it. I, I, <clears throat> thanks for the text, too. And uh, right on the money here. This is wild. You heard me introduce it. This is right. incredible. Uh, now, you weren't in Houston when, when this stuff was going on, the, the latest. I mean, the really, the, the great Houston teams of these last few years. And 2017 yeah. is really what's under the microscope. But you've been a part of Major League Baseball. You were a part of it for a long time, had a long, nice career. Uh, Philadelphia, Houston, uh, Cleveland. So overall, your thoughts, and then I'll pepper you with some questions. Well, <laughs> this has been going on for a long time. But, I mean, not to this magnitude where you can hear trash cans getting beat in the you know, clubhouse or wherever they did that from. But there's always been a center field camera now. And that wasn't delayed that you saw on regular TV. So you could go into the video room, which was usually right next to the dugout, but it was a good, a good way to, you know, relay a sign or something like that. So what I would do is I would sit in there. I've been stealing signs since I was in the minors. You always look for that extra edge. Um, you know, it's up to the catchers and the pitchers, and that's why you see a lot of pitchers throw at guys and stuff like that when they think that they're stealing signs at second base. And, you know, there's a million signs you can give to try to trick the guys and stuff like that. But that center field camera has been there for a long time, and it's and it's to video guys, the hitters and stuff like that. It's not on a delay like the normal TV is. So there's a way to actually relay the signs. And another thing is, is that I've noticed I haven't been in the dugout in probably six six years now, seven years. So I've noticed that these iPads or Surface Pros have been in the dugout as well, displaying the game that you can watch. So almost it's Major League Baseball's fault. That was never, ever allowed in, in Major League Baseball before. You couldn't have cell phones and stuff like that in the dugout. Yeah, it's a, it's a because, good because of this. Yeah, it's a good call too. I mean, because technology, and in a way, and, and be fair to, and I rip Major League Baseball all the time for the steroid era and other things that they know what's going on. But to be fair here, technology moves so fast. Sometimes you don't think of that stuff, and you got to catch up with it. And then somebody's ahead of the curve, and you're like, oh. How are we going to police this thing? So there's a little element of that sometimes with technology. I mean, even I think it was the Apple Watch that came out, and then that started to be mm-hmm. a thing where they were they were using. You're right about the Surface, the iPads, all those kind of. Right. And, and now this it's just it's almost like they they like thought 
well, this isn't really going to happen. I mean, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of technology, but people aren't going to do this. And that's also why I believe this is such a harsh penalty, Brett. Uh, Brett Myers joined us, former big league pitcher. I mean, and the, and the scope of penalties? I mean, you played during the steroid era, man. I mean, the scope of penalties? This, how big do you think this is? Am I, am I over-dramatizing it? But I think this is huge that these these managers are suspended for a year, five million bucks for Houston, four draft picks. That's a big punishment. I, I do too. I think it's I think it's pretty you know pretty big punishment for them and stuff like that. But you know, especially when they when they catch guys cheating doing steroids and stuff like that, and they give them fifty games. You know, yeah. it's not like I, these guys lost jobs. You know, feeding their families, and I get it. And they probably could have stopped it, but like I said, if this technology was not there, they would be finding another way to steal these signs. I mean, heck, I did it in a 14U game the other day. <laughs> you're gonna, you're, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna sit there and give me give me one two signs. I'm gonna go, guys. I mean, just look down at him, and you're gonna know what's coming. Yeah, but listen, hey, let's be. Listen, I didn't play baseball at your level, but we. If you grew up playing the game of baseball. There was that element. You became pretty good at stealing right. another team's signs, and that would be okay. This isn't the use right. of technology because there was some doubt in that. I used to remember when, right. like, in college or something, somebody would be like, hey, we got their signs. You'd still have doubt in your mind. You wouldn't necessarily yeah. believe that the guy telling you what it might be. Like, you'd call out your first name right. if it was something hard and maybe your last right. name if it was something soft, you know, a curveball yeah. right. or changeup. But you really right. wouldn't believe it in the box. And there's already enough doubt going on in baseball. But this was, right. like, hard – fact guys buying in and and there were some illustrations of this whether it was a guy everybody thought it was tipping pitches that the astros were on to but it was more of that it was more than that obviously because they're hitting 99 mile an hour fastballs at their eyes for doubles right right well a, a lot of that actually goes into you know when i played and everything i would i would go into the video room and i'd sit there and watch the catcher signs when so when a guy got on second i'm like you can relay relay it to the hitter you know, hands on your knees, hands between your legs, whatever. There's all hands on your hips, off speed. It doesn't matter. Like there's certain ways to relay the signs and stuff like that. But with with that being said, a lot of these hitters did not want to know what was coming because it would take their timing off. Which I was like, man, dude, I would love to know when a breaking ball is coming, not to guess, you know, and yeah. and and be on a fastball in certain counts. But a lot of guys that I played with refused to want to know what the signs were. And I don't think that was a moral thing. I think that was more or less that they they would like to react to the pitch instead of guessing because maybe they didn't trust what I was saying. I don't know. <laughs> What's up, Brett? But, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry about your food. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go. I'm sorry for cutting you off, man. Please go ahead and finish. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's it. That's how. Okay. That's it. Uh, so, man, it's good to hear from you. I guess my big question through this whole controversy, a guy like Mike Fires, who comes out and is essentially the whistleblower, right? And right. Jessica Mendoza. I was going to go there, too. Okay, fantastic. Well, then let me hear your thoughts, because Jessica Mendoza's come out, you know, and kind of talked against him a little bit. I'm just going to say right. it from my perspective, okay? This is a guy okay. who played on the Astros, goes to right. an in-division opponent with the Oakland A's. This is a guy that has to pitch against the Astros how, how many other times, you know, a year? And in terms of that, to me, if you don't say something, man, well, then that, you're hurting your bottom line. You're taking food off your kid's table because now you're going against essentially the team that you know cheats and you're pitching against them. To me, I, I have no problem with him coming out and saying something. I, I do for the fact that the morality like thing. I mean, come on, you won a World Series with them and you told them the trick and everything. You got a lot of people fired. I mean, a lot of people fired. So, 
Carlos Beltran probably had his dream job as being a manager of the Mets, and he's going to get fired. He got fired because of what this guy said. Now, and I understand where he's coming from in that in that standpoint, but there is another way to handle it, and it's the hand in the, the way we used to handle it when we played. I just start drilling guys, and I know that's not the way baseball wants to go <laughs> and stuff like that. But I'm telling you, you put one around somebody's chin one time, that sign stealing will stop. There's no doubt. Yeah, the game you know, because that that the, baseball can hurt you. Yeah, the game can police itself, and it has over the years. And I guess that's the question here, Brett. It, with the steroid era, you couldn't police it much, right? I mean, guys are they're doing stuff to cheat. They're they're doing stuff that you might not be doing. And I'm not saying you specifically, but I'm just saying you could get one second baseman right. that's a clean guy, and he's just lifting weights and doing all these things. Get mm-hmm. the other second baseman, he's doing steroids or look at his numbers. That's not well, a fair playing field. So does this cross that line of even policing it with uh, chin music in baseball? Because well, there are this is a hard, blatant way to cheat the game and cheat other teams. Well, like I said, I blame Major League Baseball for all the technology that's getting put into it and everything that everybody's got. I mean, you can go in after every at-bat and look and see what the guy's doing. Everything's on video. So with the steroid thing, I have my own opinion about that. You still got to hit the ball. Yeah, it's still hard. I I have always said that. That's why I think those guys should be in the Hall of Fame, quite frankly. You you recover faster as you get older and stuff, with typically what steroids do and stuff like that, but you still got to hit the baseball. Which is very hard to do. One of the hardest things ever to do in professional sports, you know, to hit a, to hit a round ball with a round bat with a round object. It's 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 very difficult. So, like with the steroids things, yes, they were able to recover quicker and play the 162 games and make an impact and stuff like that. I get it. But to sit there and give signs from a computer that you have on the bench which they never allowed us to do before, I blame Major League Baseball for allowing that to happen. Now I get it. It's a marketing thing because you have the same way the NFL does, the surface, surface pros and stuff on the bench yeah, and Microsoft, everything that they're yeah. looking at. Right. So they're making money doing it, and I get it. you telling me that you don't think that guys are going to try to find a way to get around, you know, knowing what signs are and stuff like that? I mean, I did it every game sitting on the bench trying to see if a pitcher was tipping pitches or if a catcher didn't close his leg up well enough. You know this, Brent. Your kid plays ball. You're trying to find an edge to give your kids the advantage. It's the game of baseball doesn't play that forever. You don't think Ty Cobb wasn't stealing time? <laughs> uh, I mean, hey, what, but now the technology makes it worse. Yeah, it does, and it makes it feel more blatant because you could try to steal signs. I could try to steal signs, but I don't know 100% I'm right. This is 100% you're, right. you're probably right. And now with all the data, man, with the analytics, you have all you can write this down for weeks and months, and the next time yep. you see that game and you play this unbalanced schedule, you see a team in your division 19 times. And when you have right. a division that comes down to three or four games potentially in the postseason, well, that's a big factor in that. So I guess my question to you is, a guy who played it, and I know, I, I listen, I don't dismiss blame from MLB either. From technology, I think they turned their cheek on the on the steroid era. So I, I think MLB has played a big role in this. But what do you think is, what would you classify as bigger? Uh, a bigger scandal, a, a more atrocious, if you would, um, a, the, the steroid era and guys cheating it that way? Or this blatant use of technology to cheat against teams? Like, like I said, I really... It doesn't matter to me because I, those guys still got to hit the baseball as taking steroids. They still have to do it. You're not offended they by either one, to, then. 
as a player? That, not really. The only thing I'm a, more upset about is the fact that they allow the technology on the bench for those guys to look at it in real time. And not only that, they, you have videotapes of every team that you play. I mean, look what the Patriots did and videoed those guys for their signs and stuff like that, or whatever that was. I don't know, not my sport. But you, <laughs> you have video. You have like, let's just take a guy like Chris Sale. Come, you know, I played with Sale. So you have a guy like this. You watch his video over and over again. Okay, this is how you collect data, right? You watch his video of his starts up until the time you face him. You find out what signs they are using. First inning, second inning, third inning, whatever signs they're using, you study that. Then when the time comes when you play them, you have all that video evidence. You're watching it live of what's going on. The catcher gives a sign. Boom. Let's yeah. tap on the trash can. <laughs> yeah. That's not the funny part to me is all this technology, and we use a trash can for sure. <laughs> to kind of well, relay the signal. <laughs> but it's kind of blatant, like when you watch this, when you watch the video of him beating on trash cans or whoever's doing it, it's just kind of like that is the dumbest way possible of doing it. It's loud; people are going to notice that. You want to try to be discreet about it, but they obviously weren't. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they did that to every pitcher because maybe they didn't have every pitcher signs. So who knows if it was if it helped them win a World Series or not? Yeah, well, but that's I'm telling true you, too. there's guys like Carlos Beltran out there that have been around the game a long time, and I'm not just singling him out. It's just names in the media right now. But there's guys out there that are very very smart and how to steal signs. I've had them. I've had half of them teach me that I've played with. Yeah, it becomes a craft. That will, that will help you. Yeah, that that will help these guys understand. You know, I I remember in the playoffs. Facing Seth McClung, I had a, I had Raul or I forgot who it was, not Raul, but Raul Banias is one of them that was really good at it, by the way, too. But but I had one of the teammates go, hey, when he does this with his glove, it's a slider. When he does this as a fastball, I get up there and I get a hit. The guy's throwing ninety six. Wow. I, I had no business of getting a hit. Wow. You know, yeah. so, so well, it shows you how it helps stuff. if you know what's coming. All right, hey, I got to let you go, but uh, and I appreciate you checking yep. in. Brett Myers with us, former big league pitcher. All right, give us the dirt, man. How many times? Did you scuff that hat up with pine tar to touch that thing before you you, you grip that baseball? Are you allowed to say? Well, yeah. Well, on, honestly, I would tell you this, and here's my thought on this. It was very cold in Philadelphia. Hitters should have been glad that I used the little sticky stuff so I didn't hit them in the neck. That's it. It had nothing to do with making my stuff better. It had to do with trying not to hit the backstop. <laughs> Very well said. All right, Brett Myers, uh, by the way, take it easy on those other 14 new teams, man. You don't need to be stealing their signs. <laughs> I stole, I, the thing was is I stole them from Hurley, who was on the other side, and we beat him. Hey, if it's Hurley, go get him then. What the heck? Yeah, that's it. I got him. <laughs> Thanks, man, for checking in. Good to All catch right, up with you. Guys. No, that's Brett Myers right, for a big league pitcher. Hey, you know, I do think Brett's got an interesting sentiment there. We all are appalled at everything. The game of yeah. Major League Baseball needs to watch the integrity part of it. But he is right about this. When it's going on and it's part of the norm, you don't usually think about it. And that's why he had a little bit of a problem with fires kind of coming out and being the whistleblower mm -hmm. while he's still an active player, too, to boot. Because it's kind of 
it is what it is. Like if if we're all we're all kind of doing it, but that's where this one is a little stretch. Everything coming out of this is from the Astros branch. Carlos Beltran, Alex Cora, they all have to. And by the way, just like any other sport, when you have success, everybody comes out. Sean McVay, right? Anybody yeah. who ever had a phone call with Sean McVay is getting a job. John's well, getting offered pretty I'm soon. I'm getting offers regularly. Yeah, well, this day and age. Anybody who, in baseball, anybody who has had a cup of coffee with anybody that wore an Astros hat is mm. getting a job. So I think that's also why MLB said, wait a minute now. Well, We're going to have guys spread out all over this league doing this stuff. Don't they also have a history, too? Wasn't, weren't they, didn't they um, pull some data or something? No, that was actually the Cardinals. The, the Cardinals from, from, them. That, from them, okay. But because they were ahead of that stuff. Yeah. They've been ahead yeah. of analytics and now this stuff. So, again, I, I'm just shocked at MLB's punishment of it. I think Brett kind of um gives it some good light from a from a player's perspective it's like if if everybody's doing it everybody's doing it and that, listen we lived through a steroid ever for what some six seven eight nine years because of that well he brought up a good point about you know with the guys doing steroids they still had to hit the ball I, I, you could tell me all day long that somebody was throwing a curveball and i wouldn't be able to hit it so i mean the thing is is these guys still had to hit the ball so uh, you know, I agree I see with him his on point. That. Right? I, like, like, I don't necessarily believe that the Astros and the Red Sox won the World Series because of this. No, I, don't. I agree. I don't think so. I, I think agree. they were very good baseball teams. I think they had very good players. It's like Barry Bonds. You didn't need to do the steroids, so why uh, why mess with it? You but, know? Yeah, and that's it. He's a that, great this, hitter before he did it. That's why I've always mm-hmm. the steroid error to me on that front is long. What Brett said, it's longevity. Yeah. It's playing that hundred. You recover quicker. Yeah. That's sure. why Bonds and Roger Clemens they went so deep into their careers probably because they did utilize that right so they padded their numbers but to me if they had stopped five years earlier their numbers were good enough to cooperstown and i think that's where you have to have common sense on this thing and say they belong in a, in a place like cooperstown on this cheating scandal it, it's just so new and so how many teams are doing i mean the patriots have been they are bending the rules with video cameras and things like that. We see in college football and NFL these big signs now. There's almost tents over the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators yeah. because people know there's video out there and they're doing it. I think I joked this this year, whether it was Andy Reid or Doug Peterson, I can't believe somebody hasn't like taken a zoomed-in shot and been able to like – uh, like NCIS this thing. Oh, yeah. On the, on the play sheet, yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's happening. You get that it happens – but I'm telling you, man, Major League Baseball found some hard evidence in here, and it it really got under Rob Manfred's skin to go to this length to punish the Astros and now Cora and the Red Sox and now Beltran and the Mets. And who knows who else it lands. I think that stops here for now. But uh, they tried to nip this one as quick as they could. Uh, for and, and that's what – we don't know all the evidence they had. They, they released a letter. We kind of get what they were doing. But there might be deeper prongs to this that we don't even know about, you know? I think they were, in fact, doing exactly as you suggest, sending a message. Because, look, baseball, probably all sports, you and I played baseball, and Austin obviously played football. But in baseball, you're you're constantly going right up to the line, right? Whether you're, whether you're digging in at the very back edge of the box and maybe even slightly yeah, out of the box, yeah. right? There's That's one example. I can think of, you know, uh, you know the first example. baseman yeah. is... You know, trying to te- you know for holding on a runner, and you're you're just barely on the edge of the bag. I mean, there are countless examples of it. What the turn into double play? Are you really even still on the bag when you're throwing it over to first yeah. base? Mm-hmm. All of these things where you're and John. That's a charm of the sport sometimes. Absolutely, it's it's right? it's, it's it, absolutely and stealing signs is as Brett mentioned has been part of the game for. Now I'm not defending it at all, but I guess what I'm saying is 
there's 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 a line that is seems to be acceptable uh, because it's sort of quote part of the game. And I think Major League Baseball decided that because they were using the technology and because it was, uh, you know, pretty obvious, egregious example that they decided to make an example out of out of it. And I think that's you know basically saying, look, you can go up to a certain line, but once you cross that line. You're done, and we gotta we gotta nip it in the bud because they've seen some of these other games experience scandals, and they didn't want to have any part of it. That's what I think. You know, it sounds kind of stodgy and old school and stuff, even for Brett, who's still a young guy, to say, "Hey, just get the technology out of there." Yeah, but he's got a point because do you really need it? Yeah, the dollars make sense. Like, do you really need it? Go back in the hitting tunnel and watch. Now, Tony Gwynn's been doing that since, like, 1988. Like, that's one thing. He's been doing that on the VHS machine. But to have these things in the dugout right there at your ready as soon as you or in a a break during the game or whatever, and now people want to use this electronic umpiring system? Mm -hmm. Like, where's that coming from? And once that goes in... How many years do we get to the point where some computer geek kid rigged the machine for the home team and it looked yeah. different for the away team? Yeah. I mean, yeah. but that's what technology does. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you solve all those things sometimes with the use of technology. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but if I asked you five years ago that the Houston Astros would get dinged for something like this, you would have said I was crazy too. But as a society, Brent, we're always evolving in technology. Right. Like we're always going to the next level and sports are a big part of society. So to say, well, you got to take the Microsoft Office Surface or whatever you call those things out of baseball. I get that, man. But at the end of the day, it makes their job easier with the analytical side of everything. Like it makes things easier. Like I remember when I played football, we still had like the like the aerial shots, you know, of of, like the The formation, the pictures. Yeah. And when when they switched over, like I remember Joe Cullen freaking out because he couldn't operate the iPad thing. Right. (laughs) And he'd be throwing it, and he'd be cussing like the like the, the, the poor Microsoft guy who's just trying to help him out. How many Microsoft then, surfaces did oh, Joe Cullen dude, go through I, in a year? I'm sure he's still breaking them to this day, man. And I'm sure the legend still lives on. But that's it's kind of the fact that it makes everything easier. Like at the end of the day, yes. Does the Microsoft thing make it easier to cheat? Possibly, but people will still find a way regardless if they have it or not. You yeah, know and what that's I'm kind of my point. It's been going on for a long time. Yeah. It's just now we're we're, we're now deciding. Uh, you know, baseball, Major League Baseball is kind of deciding that we're putting our foot in the ground. This is where it stops. This is the end of the line. We'll yeah. accept a certain level of it. Um, and, and maybe it's wise for baseball because baseball is sort of seen as that old school, you know, pastime where, you know, you're, you don't have the quarterback on the bench looking at all the up to date pictures and whatever and, yeah. and 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 that's as you mentioned sort of the charm of it and and maybe baseball's decided that's that's where we want to that's where we want to land that's our niche if you will yeah it's 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 fascinating i i will see what more comes out of it again it's not so much the crime as the punishment i've been astonished Agreed. with yeah. i've been it's, really it's, surprised it's been yeah. swift and it's been very penal yes and and again this is a sport that turned their eyes on a steroid error for six seven eight years this is a sport that might have fabricated the baseball last year to make it fly out of the ballpark but now let's let's be real about that though that's That's about the that's about dollar bills i get it i mean the reason they didn't enforce the the steroids is because mcguire and sosa saved baseball Mm -hmm. i yeah i listen i understand and they did yeah but it's just that's why i guess i'm so surprised by the punishment is my point is that this is a sport that's turned its cheek before? Well, but and I not think, on this one. But I think, but I think the motivation is 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 exactly that they turned their cheek because they they realized that this was helping 
And I say helping the game because it, it definitely saved the game oh, in a lot of ways. At the time, yeah. And this, on the other hand, they saw as hurting the game. And it's as simple as that. Because if you start scandalizing certain things and they've seen what other scandals have done to other sports, whether it's the refs in basketball or all these other gates in football, you know, that can cast a, a bad light on your sport. And they said, we're having none of it. Whereas, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't necessarily make that it wasn't improving the game on a level that fans could see and and yeah, that's yeah. the difference to me <laughs> and you could equate the money quite yes right. <laughs> exa- exactly yeah. exactly right, one last thought on this by the way i am a, i've been a big fan of the astros i mean i'm a red sox fan but i've been a huge fan of what they've done they i love their baseball team and i'm really going to be pissed off if i find out like that like all the success of a guy like jose altuve is because of this like i almost don't want to know that answer and I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even go that far to say it's all because of that because again you still have to hit the baseball. Yeah. But I love that guy. Like that, that story is a great story. Jose Altuve is one of my favorite athletes, maybe of all time. And to now, is how much is he going to be dragged through the mud? How much are some of these guys, some of that young talent on Houston, going to be dragged through this? Mm-hmm. And how much be associated with this? I hate it for that reason. Uh, more selfishly, because I, I love that guy. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping we don't. Go, it doesn't go well, much deeper than this. Well, Let's just say that. Well, let me ask you this quick, Brent. So compared to Sammy Sosa when he corked his bat, you know, and like then Sammy Sosa kind of got he did the ringer, right? I remember when the stands was making signs of the cork yeah. bat and everything like that. But as far as like I guess the overall you know prestige of Sammy Sosa, I mean I still think he's you know one. I remember Sammy Sosa and his home run trot, man. Like that's never gonna go away. So like, would you say that's worse than Sammy Sosa with Jose Altuve? Is it about the same? What What do you think about that? I I don't. I I think the steroid era is worse than any of this. Okay. I really do. Yeah. I, I think I I think they were. Again, I, I'm a. I say that because I'm a guy that's five foot ten. Sure. And I think baseball is a game where a guy that's five foot ten, 185 pounds, can actually play in the big leagues and be successful. Like not me, but I'm just saying you can work your way to do that. Yeah. What the steroid era did is say, you can't do that unless you start putting needles in your ass. Sure. And so that to me. I, I didn't like that because it, it was an unlevel playing field, and so I had to choose to cheat just to keep up. But I'm talking more about Sammy so, Sosa when he, when, he, when he corked his bat. Well, but you can't separate the two because Sammy was also using steroids. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, my I problem. Guess so. I got you. Know, okay. kind of falls that's in the, the, the okay. But the cork okay. bat thing is nothing. Man. That's kind of fun stuff. Like the pine tar with Brett. Yeah, uh, going up with George Brett. Brett. Give me a break. I mean, it's fun stuff. Yeah. Like that, yeah. those, those are what creates. That's the cheating that I think all of us are like, hey, you shouldn't have done it. We're going to lambaste you for it, but... Thanks for the memory. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's got the pine tar stuff, like I was talking about with Brett. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's the, the stealing of the, signs. The file. What was it? Was it the Joe Necro with yeah. the twins when it, yeah. fi- when it fell out of his back pocket? Yeah. I mean, that's classic. Yeah, the yeah. spitball, right? But it was Gaylord Perry. I mean, yeah. those are. I'm not saying they should be allowed. You should be able to lambaste them. You should be able to criticize them. You should be able to try to get it out of the game. But it's a totally different thing than manipulating the game with video, which is hard core stuff mm-hmm. you know i mean because it's fact you're still guessing you still have to throw a baseball even if it's got pine tar on it like brett just said you know you have to do a lot of things but if you know again these guys are really good hitters really good like we don't understand how good and if you do know a fastball's coming instead of a, a hook 
at at 78 miles an hour compared yeah. to 99. That yeah. is a huge and advantage. And that's the difference, I huge think, because for, for me, it's been so many years since I've really played baseball. To me, I can't imagine. And we didn't play it like that, right? level ever, for so, sure. And so for me to say, uh, it, that wouldn't really do me much good. As I said, you could tell me a curveball is coming all day long, and I still probably couldn't hit it. So... And that's why I, I guess I would say the steroid thing was a much bigger deal for me because a lot of things, number one, what you said already, but number two, you know, the health and wellness of the players, the message it sends to teenagers back home. To me, that was more of a real black eye on baseball because you're basically encouraging something that can have a health impact on kids and yeah, that to on me generations. is more on generate and that's a that was egregious to me yeah and so to me that's a bigger deal than this well and right now it's a way broader scope too yeah that was that yes. was th- this yes. looks very small because right. astros everybody related to the astros like core and beltron that's it for now yeah. we'll see how big of a scope it is all right you got to get going actually news jacks coming up at five o'clock what you got tonight man i have i really i don't do this very often but i think everybody needs to get home today in time to watch action news jacks at five on cbs 47 and fox 30 and i'll tell you why an incredible story saint augustine uh police uh a homeless man well known in the community passed away recently a detective with the saint august augustine police department spent 80 hours trying to find this man's family hmm. you know homeless people yeah, you know sure and 80 hours later they learned that this man his name is john mead jr was a veteran and they did a lot of work and found out he was honorably uh, discharged after serving a few years i think in the army and the guy has no family hmm. so they they got him a military honors burial at Jacksonville National Cemetery tomorrow wow. at wow. 2 p.m. And what they're doing is they're asking everybody to show up. Really? 2 o'clock. If you're not doing anything tomorrow, call uh-huh. call into work and say, I got I got something. I got, I got a meeting tomorrow at 2 o'clock. I got to be gone out of the office because they're going to have full ceremony for him. It's incredible. And so tonight, you're going to meet the detective who spent those 80 hours hmm. tracking down this man's background to get him proper send-off. Wow, how about that? Very cool. Uh, very cool. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the right term. I think it's very, very cool. cool gesture. Very Kind of cool. sounds like a movie in the making. I think it'll be really cool if a lot of people show up. Yeah. Go yeah, to that for the 2 o'clock and then come back over here at 4 o'clock. Yep. Your afternoon is is set up now you're tomorrow. Talking. Yeah, that's a really, uh, really uh, great story that uh, you guys are working on tonight. 5 o'clock on Action News Jack. Yeah. Check it out. You have more details on how people can get I mean, you just gave it to them. But Absolutely. I'm, I'm I think sure the real reason to tune in is to watch this detective because we have uh, – it's, it's an incredible interview with the detective who spent all this time tracking down this okay. information. Good for that, uh, man, right yep. there. All right, uh, John Bachman, Taniki Hughes, guys. Uh, Mike Borish, and uh, I'll be live, actually. Actually, at Swisher Gymnasium tonight for the River City Rumble on the TV side of things. CBS 47, Fox 30 starts at 5 o'clock. And make sure you check out that story. When we come back, more sports talk. We'll get away from the baseball side, back to football, including the NFL playoffs. Who do you like? How do you break it down? And how epic of a run would this be for the Tennessee Titans? I know you hate to admit it here in Jacksonville, but it might be reality. It's next on ESPN 690. I think the biggest thing is that we can't change what we've done uh, to get us in this um, position uh, to have this opportunity. And uh, you know, on October 14th, we were two and four. I was a bad coach, and this was a bad team. 
and uh, you know we, we tried to believe in each other we tried to improve try to prepare trust each other execute and um, you know, that's what's gotten us here so we're not we, we can't change and start to make things up now you are who you are especially at this point of the year and right now the Tennessee Titans and Mike Vrabel that's who you just heard from well, they're a pretty good football team no doubt about it. I mean, you, you can't take anything away from them. They have been outstanding the last two months of the year. Remember, they started two and four, I think it was, uh, and it looked like they were a mess. They make the switch to Tannehill, and now all of a sudden, you know, they're throwing 30 spots up on the board, and they become one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL, one because of their toughness, and then all of a sudden you combine that with the ability to be explosive, explosive with – A.J. Brown, who had an enormous second half of the year, but in a tremendous uh, rookie season out of Ole Miss. Tannehill, who, who obviously found a groove and, and a fit in Tennessee. And then Derrick Henry, who hails from Uly right here in northeast Florida and is having just an enormous last couple of months, especially last couple of weeks, and is doing things that's never been done uh, at the running back position in the NFL, which is astonishing in itself uh, to consider Derrick Henry, a guy that many people believe would just be a serviceable back in the NFL coming out of Alabama, going into Alabama, maybe should have been a linebacker. And now you look at what he's been been able to do. And we've talked a lot about tackling Derrick Henry and and all those different uh, things that, that teams face. But it's come to fruition, and he is like a freight train right now. Can Kansas City stop him? Will they find a way to stop him? Will they make A.J. Brown and Tannehill beat them? Uh, which a team like Kansas City, in my opinion, can afford to do, because if they get beat by the home run ball, they don't care. They're just going to come back and deliver their own grand slam in the next couple of minutes. They just showed that against Houston. Mm-hmm. So I am curious to see how it was, the numbers say, Murphy's Law says, Derrick Henry is not running for 180 yards this week. It had never been done 180 yards three weeks in a row in the NFL. And now you're going to tell me it's going to happen four weeks in a row? I'll bet against that. I love you, Derek, but I'm going to bet against that. But what I don't understand is how they are going to make that happen. Yeah. You know, you bet against it, Brent, and I'm almost for it. Because what the sample size in the playoffs has showed us, when you break down a team like the New England Patriots, what's been their story all year with the Patriots? It's their defense, right? It's Bill Belichick's ability to always keep his team in the ball game because of their stout defense. Now, do the Patriots have the best defensive line in the world? Probably not. But guess what, man? They're adequate, and they win ball games. And in that Patriots game, you saw – I mean, they knew what was going to happen. They're going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry, and Bill Belichick's job was to try to create a scheme and try to create a play-calling situation that would stop that. They knew what was going to happen. They knew it, and guess what? They couldn't stop it. Now let's fast forward to Baltimore. Baltimore, another really solid defense. They've always had a fantastic defense. Big question marks this year. Is their linebacking core going to be up to snuff? Well, guess what? It was, okay? They've been touted all season. One of the best defensive lines in football. Once again, if you watch that Patriots game, if you watch when the Titans started to go on the run, you knew the ball was going to Derrick Henry. The Ravens would stack the box. Earl Thomas said he was ready to go and everything. What happened? You couldn't stop Derrick Henry. So I get what you're saying where history has kind of shown us, like, like, there's no way you can do this again. But when I break down the Kansas City Chiefs defense, number one, obviously it's not their strong suit, their offenses. And number two, I would almost take, 
with all due respect to them, I would almost take Baltimore's defense or New England's defense over Kansas City. Absolutely. So, yeah, so so sort of sit here and say Derrick Henry can't do it again. Even if Kansas City knows it's coming, and even if you stack the box, the way he's playing right now, the way he's playing on tilt, to me it doesn't matter. The guy is still going to get his. Okay, there's one caveat here. This is why I might be right in terms of playing the percentages that he doesn't do it. The team is going to like the offense. The offense the is, so yeah. therefore the Kansas City Chiefs jump out to a 14 nothing lead. Okay, maybe you don't panic, but you're starting to at least think a little bit. And then it's 20 to nothing or 20 to three, and now you get into a little deeper five minutes to go in the second quarter. Now you do, do you get away from the run? And we see teams do it. They panic, they get away from the run, they say, okay, we need a quick strike here, we need to move a little quicker. It will really test Mike Vrabel, it will test this coaching staff to stick with what they are. And you have to stick with that as long as you can until it's almost desperation time mm-hmm. and not just put the ball in Tannehill's hands. That could be disaster for Tennessee. So I think the flow of this game has a lot to say about it. Keep in mind. The last two weeks, I don't know what – I can't remember New England. They jumped out. I know they were up 7 nothing, uh, but last week they were up 14 nothing against Baltimore. I mean, yeah. that is the perfect formula, the perfect start for a team that likes to play defense, likes to run the football, and wants to keep a game in the 20s. Sure. Not go up into the I, – I said they can be explosive and they got into the 30s, but they don't want the game to be there. They want the game to be in the, the high teens and low 20s so they can muddy it up a bit. I agree with you there, but here's the standpoint, Brent. If you're Tennessee and you're going to Kansas City, get ready for this game. There is no and I and listen. I respect you, Titans. All right, I, I do respect you. Way I'll more this, than I do. Way, way more than Brett Martino does. I think he's finally starting to believe a little bit. You're playing the Just because I have to. There's game. only four teams left. Yeah, so you kind of <laughs> you're kind of guilty by association now. But there's no way the Tennessee Titans can keep up on offense with with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think anybody would agree with that, Brent. Right? There's no way that they can go blow for blow with the Kansas City Chiefs. Sure doesn't seem like you it. Sure can't I mean, do if it. New Orleans was still in it, maybe could yeah. they? I mean, San Francisco has had some of those high scoring yeah. games, maybe, but no. I and, think and, your answer is no. And listen, and this is coming from the guy who had the Patriots beating the Titans and who also had the Ravens beating the Titans. Okay, and I'll be honest, I I missed that by a long shot. I think a lot of people, you know, missed that call by a long shot, but. If you think that Tennessee is going to go down ten nothing, fourteen nothing, and abandon what they're all about, to me, I think you're crazy. Because at the end of the day, if the Titans have any shot in this game on the road again, once again the underdogs, the shot's going to come by pounding the rock. The shot's going to come by taking the clock off. Because you saw what Kansas City can do it in a matter of four minutes, Brent. They they show that against Houston. And I'm not sure what's going to happen in this game. We'll break it down more, obviously, uh, tomorrow as well. But if you're Tennessee, and listen, and I'm the one that's applauded Brable for what he did against the Patriots, obviously. Now, you could say their offense, yeah, maybe they're they're not the old Patriots of uh, before, but he still put up a pretty good showing in, in this scheme. And obviously, Tennessee played a great game. And then when we fast forward to Baltimore, I mean, that to me was the showcase of the genius that Mike Vrabel is because he essentially made, you know, Lamar Jackson and that offense look pedestrian. And it was the first time that we've seen that all season. The problem, though, is entering this Kansas City Chiefs game now is you can't have that same philosophy that you had against Baltimore. You can't just say, we're going to take away the middle of the field and make you beat us in the corners. You can't do that because now your game plan has to revolve around stopping Tyreek Hill, stopping Travis Kelsey, stopping all these weapons, all the speed um, that Kansas City has. So you have to once again come up with a new game plan. Now I'm curious to see if Vrabel does because if, if Vrabel can come into Kansas City, 
and he can hold them to, let's just go ahead and say, 28 points. As crazy as that sounds, I think you got a fantastic shot of winning. Oh, now, yeah. I'm, I'm, you'd, I'm, you'd sign up for that now. You would sign up for that two days on Sunday, every single day of the week. The question is, can you do that? Because if you can keep them with under, you know, t- even 30 points, I think you have a shot then with Derrick Henry because – of all things considered, and we talk about this all the time, Brent, when we say, is a team fast on defense or are they physical on defense, right? Like You don't see a lot of teams that have both those things um, to their advantage. I think Kansas City is geared more towards the speed than they are the physicality. And depending what the weather's like and all that good stuff, but at the end of the day, if you have a physical team, you're always going to have a shot, but once again, you have to control the clock. Much like uh, you know teams he's played on, and I think this is where you give the Honey Badger a lot of credit, like... Even the other day against Houston, I don't. I didn't jump out at me like, "Wow, this Kansas City defense is great." Mm-hmm. But in key times, they make stops. Like it feels like when they need it, they, they do just enough. Like they, they're probably the worst bend, defense bend out of the. Don't home. break. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, to a degree. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if it feels that way to me. It just feels like they're gonna make a play here or there in a game, and all you need in this video game world of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes is like one stop. Sometimes two stops. Well, and I think Honey Badger is kind of the reason one of those because he's an opportunistic guy. So it's one mistake by Tennessee. They they have been pretty flawless Mm -hmm. against the Patriots and Ravens. They almost have to do it again. Well, here you go. And what I always say, Brent, you got to be able to run the football and stop the run. Here's the scary thing with Kansas City, though. You obviously stopped the run in Baltimore, right? Like they basically abandoned the run game and put it all on Lamar Jackson's arm. If you go into tennis, uh, if you go into Kansas City and you stop the run. To me, that doesn't really mean anything, man, because I can see Patrick Mahomes throwing it 50 times a game, and he's going to have no problem connecting with his receivers and all those offensive weapons. It's just it, it's a hard puzzle to figure out. A, a quick look at San Francisco Green Bay, mm-hmm. uh, which, like I said earlier in the show, you can put in almost any decade that football has existed, and you'd be like, hey, that's an intriguing matchup. Well, this one is, too. We'll talk about it next. ESPN 690 rolls on here on a Thursday. I think there's an appreciation that there's only four teams left. I mean, that's that's pretty cool to think about. There's 28 teams on vacation right now, and we're still going. But uh, you know, trying to keep the weeks as normal as possible. We haven't uh, ever had one of these at home, so that's the only thing that's kind of normal. We know we're traveling on Saturday. Is that right? Green Bay's never had an NFC Championship game at home in the Rodgers era? Is that what he just said? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, he kind of just said that, yeah. so I have no idea about that one. Brett Barno, Austin Lane, Koo's back. You doing all right? No. I mean, Stress, man. Austin, we thought we were on cruise control today, coming in here stress-free. Got cocky, Brent. Austin plops his Chipotle right on the ground. It's the all over thing. the place. I mean, it's, it, it is a crime scene in here. I mean. <laughs> it is. What do you want me to say? There is yellow tape going in tonight. Yeah investigation full on <laughs> Bachman will be covering this as a news story uh, and then on top of that so no no Chipotle lunch no. for a man who by the way he, he eats like on the clock like we're talking 4.05 it's yeah. time to eat and, and very few minutes waiver from that I am a man Unlike of habit me. I'm a creature of habit and then so he goes to the vending machine see we have a vending machine here mm-hmm. Now, I'm not poking fun at the vending machine lunch because <laughs> I'll go to the gas station and eat hot dogs, and it doesn't bother me at all. In fact, I kind of like them. Yeah. But you go get, like, a Hot Pocket. Two of them. Two Hot Pockets. And apparently, while I was talking or doing something else, you came back, and you obviously hadn't cooked the Hot Pocket long enough. It was still frozen. 
So frozen. Yep. Um, had to go back, heat it up again. Bit it because I'm starving. Bit into it, then burnt my tongue. So it's just it's one of those days. And then listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, shout out to Hot Pockets, whatever, dude. I'm I'm 32 years old. All right. The last time I actually made myself a Hot Pocket was probably college. All right. It's it's been a while. Yeah, Ty and Kaylee I, make I themselves Hot Pockets. I don't do Hot Pockets, and Hot Pockets were not kind to me. So it's it's just it's been one of those days, man. It's okay. We're going to carry on. Am I a little stressed right now? Because, yeah, I had premium gasoline ready to go into this body and perform well at MMA. Yeah, I had it ready to go at Chipotle. I had my fats. I had my carbs all mapped out. And now I'm putting this cheap ethanol, not even gas. It's like water. I'm literally putting water into my tank right now and hoping it's going to work out at sparring tonight. Can't wait to get punched in the face. It's going to be awesome. I would... Uh be on guard tonight. It's going to be awesome, dude. I'm going <laughs> to be halfway through for, from practice and just pass out. Don't hurt yourself. I, will, I know it's a big show tomorrow. Going to show up with a, a black eye or something. I, I love the fact that isn't it wild that MMA for, like, which I would call fighting, but you just said a word that I wouldn't equate to it, is practice. Yeah. Like, you actually go to MMA practice, which is right. I'm just, I mean, I'm not t- training, I'm not, practice, yeah. I know, but mm-hmm. it's like... You have to go practice getting hit in the face. You do. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and spoiler alert: there's not a lot of walkthroughs only in the last week. So this is uh, this is full contact Oklahoma drillish type of practice here we're talking about. Oh man, uh, poor Austin Lane. There's, there's not a players union either. A lot of respect for Austin Lane right now because, you know, he he does not fully want to call out Chipotle because he loves it so much. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, when, cause I'm not the best cook in the world, and when my, my, my wife's busy with other stuff like her schooling, she can't make, you know, meal prep. Yeah, Chipotle's the go-to. And once again, Chipotle, you wanna sponsor me? Very cool. But. We're gonna have to work out the container. Well, I don't understand it, because I could have literally sneezed and it would have just, like corrosed. I mean, like literally, the the, the integrity, <laughs> the, 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 the integrity of the Chipotle container is so weak because you think about it, Brent. Like, yes, you have rice that soak up the juices, but some of those leak down, and it's literally made out of like tissue paper. But don't give me the environmental speech either. We're not saving turtles here. We're not saving any kind of wildlife because the top of your Chipotle container is made of aluminum. So you can't have it both ways. So either make the whole thing aluminum and we're all good to go, or just really slap me in the face. And make it all cardboard. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, but stay in your lane. Pick a lane and stay in it. My, Sorry, uh, Chipotle. But my, my, it's good stuff. <laughs> By the way, mine was awesome. Thanks for bringing it to me. It was fantastic. Uh, but, I, you know, I worked my first job was at a grocery store, stop and shop back in Rhode Island. Yeah. And so I was the cart guy and, and the bagger. Yeah. Right? And uh loved the job. I actually had a lot of fun doing it. Sure. But to me, this is where I would ask you, would you like me to double bag this? Yeah. So you need a double container. I need a double container. Or just, I don't know, I'm sure you're a billion-dollar company. Just make better containers. I, I can't be the only guy that's had this complaint. I, I simply cannot be. You know, as the bagger at Stop and Shop, this was back in 1990. Oh, wow. Four? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's 25 years ago. Dang. That's crazy. <laughs> so that's probably 94, 95. Yeah. I would say it's probably more like 94. Uh, and so you go paper, mm-hmm. plastic, or paper and plastic. Oh, See, so you do the paper combo? bag. The paper bag is a big thing back then. Sure. So then the paper, and then so it's easier to hold though. You put the plastic around it, ah. so then it's easier to hold it. So a lot of people went paper plastic. That's some like though. That's like some Microsoft Surface Pro stuff because we didn't have that in Wisconsin, dude. You either either getting 
Paper or you're getting plastic. Well, you don't get both. But nowadays, like, do you even get offered paper? No. I don't think you do, right? No, man, no. Now you've got to have, like, your own grocery bag if you don't of want course. the plastic. Of course. You have to have, like, the, the cloth thing that you carry yeah. to farmer's markets. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. But in that while, I just thought of that. It was like, you don't even get paper and plastic. Not even, even nope. Get paper. Nope. And usually you got to pay an extra couple bucks to donate to something, too, when you go through the checkout. I was a damn good That's bagger, by the way. That's an art to bag in groceries. I'm sure there is. What, there is. What's my mic? Well, stop leaning back like this well, is like third quarter of the Super Bowl. All right, man. I mean, since we're just on just me complaining today, well, the, the, you know, the, there's been some changes in the studio, okay? And w- one of my monitors is gone, which is fine. I never used it. That's cool. But for whatever reason now, like, the mic is, like, hoisted up more, so it's kind of taking me we out of my rhythm it. a little bit. Yeah, we did that so that we could get the camera shot on Brent, the better camera on Brent, okay. instead of it on you. And that's absolutely cool. Now, am I going to blame you for spilling my Chipotle? Because when I opened it up, <laughs> I wasn't over the desk here. I was kind of back here a little bit. I might. Right. I'm just saying I'll adjust. The great ones do. Those but it's ones... been a, hey, it's been a time and a half today, Coos. A time and a half. Well, I would say I'd come over there and help out, but I don't. I don't think I want to. By the way, this is what everybody at Jags headquarters has to deal with all the time. These prima donna athletes. I mean, they can't adjust to anything. They need everything done the right way. I mean, it's unbelievable. This is what they have to deal with. Sure, they should come back and have their job for another year. They got to deal with this all the time. I don't know, man. I remember Shad Khan had us eating pretty good with all that salmon he used to have, dude. We're talking salmon and tuna every single day. Yeah, I'll sign up for that any day. The, the knuckle part, like Titans, you can lift it up and tighten it. Yeah, see what I mean? We've had a lot of issues this week. <laughs> there you go. Uh, actually. Hey, is it, is it a rubber band or what? No, but it's tight. You just almost got, got punched in the I'm, face almost, by the microphone. Uh, seriously, we're, we're fine. You're we're on the video. We're, we're so, yeah. Hey, I know, I'm getting recorded. Tim, oh, uh, Tim says, hey, you two know Tennessee beat KC this year. Yeah, we do. We do. 35-32, they beat him at home. Yep. But let's be honest, Tim. And let's let's all know this. KC is a just like Tennessee started to turn the corner around that time, become a way better team, and they are. By the way, they're they're sure. they're they should be here. They've earned the right to be here, and they're a good team. This isn't like I don't look at Tennessee and say they're a David versus Goliath type of situation. I think they could beat Tennessee, uh, Kansas City. But I will say this: Kansas City is a totally different team than they were the first six seven weeks of the year. Well, and guess what? The 49ers beat Green Bay in November, late November, thirty seven to eight. Is that going to happen again? Well, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Yeah. I mean, how much would you beat a team 37 to 8? Again, that Tennessee game was 35 32, and it kind of felt like an upset when Tennessee won it. Yeah. Was that the game, by the way, that like Tennessee got lucky on the goal line two or three times? Was it Kansas City that 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 looked like they scored and they reversed the call a couple of times? Man. Or no, that was the Chargers. Okay. That was Melvin Gordon. Yeah, yeah, Melvin yeah, Gordon. yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Remember that game? Yeah, I do remember that, that game wild. now, yeah. Uh, but anyway, 37-8, that's a butt whooping. It is. And there's something about Aaron Rodgers in California that hasn't worked well. The entire team in California. And, and not only that, San Francisco has proven they, they had a grind of a season. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a little bit like LSU. LSU, they were battle-tested, man. They beat seven top ten teams. And they did it, and they did it, and they did it, and they won. Their offense never stopped. San Francisco... They've beaten teams like the Saints, I think, 48 to 45. They can beat a team 20 to 10. Mm-hmm. They they can win in a variety of ways, which I already always praised the Jags for back in 2017. When you can do that and you can win in a variety of ways, I think if you look at these football teams that are left, they can do that. Tennessee is proven to do that. Kansas City, uh, they're usually going to win a track meet, but their defense is better. Uh, and then these two teams, the NFC, I think can win games that are ugly and low scoring, or they can 
you know, outshoot you. Sure. And, but San Francisco, above all, I think they played what looked like or appears to be one of the toughest schedules in the NFL. And week after week, they delivered, they delivered, they delivered. I think it was just Atlanta that surprised them late in the season. But Atlanta then won, won like five out of seven in that stretch. San Francisco is battle-tested. They can win in a lot of ways. It it does pique the curiosity of of the final four teams. Is is San Francisco just that good? Like, are they a team that, that might be like an LSU? Even though we knew LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson were pretty good, we didn't know much about Oklahoma. And this final four is San Francisco, LSU, and they're just that good, and they can, they're going to beat whoever's in their way. So, I mean, if I'm looking at it logistically, I think Kansas City – could kind of give them a run for their money, but Kansas City still has to beat Tennessee first, so we'll see. But if we're breaking down the 49ers-Packers game, and it's it's like the um, the person that uh, – I'm sorry, was it somebody on Twitter that said this, that uh, about Tennessee beating Kansas City before? Yeah, they just brought it up. Okay, you, guys, brought it like, up yeah. you know that Tennessee yeah. beat – because yeah. we, were, we didn't mention that in the last segment. Correct. Yeah. Yes, we do know is the answer. And, and if you go back I to – I know everything. There you go. And if you go back to that Green Bay Packer game, um, you know, prime time, Aaron Rodgers, West Coast – you know, is San Francisco for real? And they come out, they hit Aaron Rodgers ten times, they sack him, I believe, five times, and they didn't give him any space to breathe. And if you go back to this past week, when the Packers played the Seahawks, you saw that Seattle wasn't supremely confident in their defensive line getting home, right? Because that's what you have to, I mean, that's how you have to beat Aaron Rodgers, right? If you give him all the time in the day, he's going to pick you apart. It doesn't matter if it's Lazard. It doesn't matter if it's Geronimo Allison. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Kumro, who, you know, is, is a D3 guy out of Wisconsin Whitewater. But with Aaron Rodgers now, he's like the next big thing in Green Bay. It doesn't matter who you have at receiver. If you give Aaron Rodgers time, he will beat you. That's what he does. So you saw Seattle kind of formulate some of these blitzes and everything, and let's be honest, sometimes it got home, right? We we talked about the, the Griffin brothers meeting in the backfield, sharing that cool moment. Well, that was from the blitz. And you saw Seattle having se- success in the second half, especially when they started to blitz Aaron Rodgers some more. With Aaron Rodgers' mobility, with his savvy, with his football IQ of playing so many years now and, you know, just kind of seeing the game overall – he, he he can tear apart blitzes. He can make the audibles. He can check out of them. He's almost like a Peyton Manning. But here's the problem with San Francisco. San Francisco does not have to blitz. San Francisco can send four guys at all times, and they can get home almost 90% of the time. All right, Because they have that talented of guys, whether it's D. Ford, whether it's Bosa, w- whether it's the big studs in the middle. Or if you do blitz, well, then you got you know fast linebackers coming at you. And that's where Aaron Rodgers had problems the first time, was the fact that they only sent four. So if you only send four, nine times out of ten, you're going to have pretty good coverage in the back, right? Because you can focus on where Green Bay can beat you. Well, Devonta Adams is that guy. He is the one receiver. He is a perennial, probably all pro, um, depending on Michael Thomas and who else is going to get it. But he is up there in the echelons of one of the best wide receivers right now in football. And he's literally all they got. Because I mentioned guys like Kumro. I mentioned guys like Lazard. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers can make them great. But can they really go toe-to-toe with Richard Sherman? Can they really go toe-to-toe with that secondary of San Francisco? I, I, I'd probably say no. Because they, they didn't the first time. That's all I have to go off of right now. So the question becomes, well, if you double-team what you should Devonta Adams, if you can only send four on the defensive line to get to Rodgers, then how do you beat San Francisco? And it's the one thing that I talked about with the defense that they run now with that wide nine 
and that's the ability to run the ball. The only, in my opinion, the only way Green Bay is going to actually have a chance of staying in this game is Aaron Jones and running the ball. Because if you take anything from my thesis that I've talked about the wide nine, it's the fact that sometimes you overplay the pass so much that it leaves the run vulnerable. And I think if Aaron Jones could have, you know, a tremendous day, a Derrick Henry type performance, then Green Bay's got a shot. But I just think San Francisco's got way too much firepower. You know, it's interesting as you go through all those players and you think in your mind, wow, I mean, listen, there's Aaron Jones. He's not like a star in the league, nah. right? But, I mean, he's a guy that was an unbelievable breakout season. So, yeah, especially Aaron, for your fantasy team. Yeah, there was Aaron <laughs> and then Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And Devontae Adams, I don't think it probably is his uh, – He's kind of like Yannick Ngakwe to me. Like he's really good, but not many people talk about him. Not enough people talk about him. You know, yeah. in that sense. And then, then you have Jimmy Graham. But let's be honest, man. Yeah, he's at the back G- nine, yeah, man. Back well nine. beyond the back yeah. nine. Might yeah. be on the seventeenth hole, really. For sure. Uh, and then that's it, though. Like you don't really have a lot of star power. You mentioned San Francisco from the back end of Richard Sherman to the Nick mm-hmm. Boses of the world, mm-hmm. you know, to the DeForest Buckners who was a top pick, to Jimmy Garoppolo who I think gets probably way more credit than he should at this point. I'm not sure he's earned all the credit he gets. Uh, you know, to uh, Emmanuel Sanders, even uh, with that trade that happened. I mean, they've got a lot, of, and Kittle has become a household name. So you really start going down the list, you're like, wow, this is a really talented team. And then on top of that, I would say if you go blow by blow, position by position, and then you give the coaching, Shanahan's been here before, man. LaFleur has not. And how much will that show up in this game, even though he did stop off in Ashland University? But. <laughs> I mean, how much will that show up? Shanahan is a really bright guy, obviously learned from the mistakes of the Super Bowl mess in Atlanta, I would assume. It's it's fascinating to think that, you know what, they might be this year's LSU in the NFL because of the complete package of everything. But then if you really want to equate a team to like LSU – of college football in the NFL, doesn't it feel like Kansas City's that? Because aren't they the unstoppable offense? It feel like how do you stop well, their offense? Yeah, and you're <laughs> absolutely right there, but how do you stop Kansas City's offense? But to get back to the point of are the 49ers this dominant? You know, are they the LSU? Well, let's go back to this. Like in terms of identity, we know what Kansas City brings to the table, right? They're the, they're the high-powered offense that runs through Patrick Mahomes. You got Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. We talk about it how many times. We know what the identity of the Tennessee Titans is, right? That they they want to pound the rock with Derrick Henry, set up play action every once in a while, maybe get Ryan Tannehill 100 yards uh, passing, but if not, it's all good. You're still going to win. Fantastic. The the thing about the 49ers is, Brent, like, you've seen them play in the tight games. You, you've seen them play against Washington in horrible weather in October, and they win 9 to nothing. They found a way to do it. You've seen them play in the shootouts with the New Orleans Saints, and they found a way. They got the job done. My point is the fact that they can beat you in a variety of ways, whether it's on the ground or through the air. You know, we always talk about San Francisco being such a good running team, and guess what? They absolutely are. And and they have a plethora of running backs to do that. It's not just a Derrick Henry-type guy. You know, it's Matt Breida. It's Monster. Um, it's Tevin Coleman now, who's finally getting healthy, who's played with Shanahan before, and Atlanta. You have a plethora of running backs that you can kind of throw at teams, all with kind of different attributes and change of paces and everything like that. But you also have a super underrated pass game that stems from the run game. You have one of the best tight ends in Kittle. You have a very promising rookie receiver in Debo Samuel that you can run all those crazy gadgets with. And then you have that solid vet in Emmanuel Sanders who came from Denver. You traded for him. And now when he's healthy, he's paying, div- he's paying dividends. So the 49ers, 
like, listen, I guess when you're in a playoff game, Brent, you're always afraid of, like, well, what if this happens? You know, what happens if you're Tennessee? What happens if we get into a shootout? Can we hold up with Kansas City? Probably not. You have to maintain a close game. San Francisco doesn't have to worry about anything because they can beat you in a variety of ways. They can slow the game down if they want, pound the rock. They can beat you with explosive offense. And when you have that type of offense at your disposal, that's a luxury that a lot of teams can't say they have. I think that's what what makes them so dynamic and, in my opinion, such such a favorite to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, Tim, uh, uh, he's locked in on us right now, which we appreciate. And he's this is interesting. He, now he's educate me a little bit. He said by the numbers, the 49ers had the weakest schedule of the remaining teams, 19th in the NFL. Hmm. Well, I can remember sitting here week after week and be like, man, they've played the Saints and they've played this team and they've played that team and they've gone. Wasn't it the Ravens like back to back Ravens and Saints and somebody else that they played and they took care of business in all three? Maybe it was the Rams, you know, at the time or Seattle. Yeah. Uh, so it was Seattle, the Rams, Falcons, Saints, Ravens. Yeah. And then, and then the Packers and the Packers. Packers. And they t- it's, wow. And they ended up with a 19th schedule in the NFL. Gosh, I mean that was a five. That's why yeah. I brought that up because that five-week stretch. Now they lost to the Falcons, but I think did they win the rest of those games? Uh, the the Ram, uh, yeah, they they did. They beat Seattle. They beat the Rams. <laughs> what lost a weird the Falcons. game to lose. I know, right? <laughs> but, but and we talked about that too. I remember when, when the Panthers were going over there, right? And it's back when Kyle Allen was, I think, coming on, and obviously McCaffrey was doing his thing. And we're like, oh, th- this is definitely the game where the Carolina Panthers go on the on the West Coast and they win that game. I think we all picked that game against San Fran. Well, San Fran curb stomped them, man. Like and. To me, like, yes, every once in a while you're going to have those Atlanta games, right, where there's no rhyme or reason, you don't play a good game, Atlanta comes to your house and they beat you. They shouldn't have done it, but guess what? They beat you. But I just think from from a consistency, from a standpoint of being so dynamic, it's if you're the Green Bay Packers defense, it's a hard puzzle to figure out. Let's be honest. The Green Bay Packers defense is nothing to write home about, right? They, they've been up and down all season. Yeah, one other thought here on this. and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, said it. Uh, I saw it tweeted out somewhere that – it was a blessing in disguise to tear the ACL, and the meaning he had behind it is they really didn't do well last year, and they got to pick Nick Bosa yeah. because of the position they were in. It's funny how that works, right? Mm-hmm. You And it just shows the enormous amount of luck that you have to have in the NFL. I'll go back to, you know, I, I've really been key this off season on saying, you know, ever since the Jag season ended or the last couple of weeks, and kind of going back, like, man, why do some teams win? What is? And my point being... You have to take a gamble sometimes, and you have to you have to roll the dice, and you have to hit. But when you roll the dice, you're trying to get lucky. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing to take the gamble and get lucky. Well, I go to Seattle, and the whole Matt Flynn they signed, but then they got Russell Wilson. They got lucky. Sure. They got lucky with Russell Wilson. The Patriots years ago got lucky with Tom Brady. I mean, they wouldn't have drafted him in the sixth round if he was Tom Brady. Lamar Dak Jackson, Prescott. Lamar Jackson, even with Baltimore, Dak Prescott's a good one. Lamar Jackson, they picked Hayden Hurst before Lamar Jackson. I mean, yeah. you, even though you committed to it, even though you rolled the dice, I give you credit for it, but you got lucky. Sure. So you have to get lucky. It's so much, it's so interesting to me how luck does play a role in it. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, listen, a lot of people will discredit the Jags 2017 season. Why? Because they got lucky. They played a lot of bad backup quarterbacks they had an easier schedule they got this and that you know what i mean that so what they got lucky finally once in like a dozen years they got lucky yeah but it shows you that you need a little bit of luck and it was a gamble to go get garoppolo for the amount of money they signed him to and say he's our guy even though he's only played like five games in the nfl but he's our guy well it didn't look too good when he goes down with a torn acl and now he's still only played whatever seven eight nine games in the nfl and he's your franchise guy at 28 million bucks a year. But they got lucky 
it was worth the gamble. And they got lucky because that injury actually benefited them this year. They, they got Bosa has he's been well, a difference maker. There's no, no doubt about it. Doubt, we, we we talk about Josh Allen and we talk about Nick Bosa, but uh, you know Nick Bo- Josh Allen should be in that conversation. I would be fine if he were to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, but you can't tell me Nick Bosa hasn't earned Defensive well, Rookie of the Year either. He has he been has. a game changer for them. He has, and, and one could say you maybe took a. And I, I get it. Nick Bosa was highly talented to come out of college. But one could say you actually maybe took a little bit of a risk on Nick Bosa as well, taking him where you did. Because remember, he had that abdominal injury. People are questioning, is he really True. our team yeah, guy, he right? The last it was month. kind of a yeah. selfish move on his part. Comes out of the combine, runs a four seven nine, right? And then you have guys like Montez Sweat. You have guys like Josh Allen that are just blowing the doors off all the physicality and athleticism stuff. And you have a guy like Nick Bosa who's just kind of just putting up these average numbers. But the thing with Nick Bosa, which you've seen, I mean, I watched Nick Bosa take Delvin Cook in coverage and play him man like it was Richard Sherman. Yeah. And literally swap the ball, ball down heck of and said, the things are playing. Okay? Not a lot of guys can do that. And we, we always compare Nick Bosa uh, and Josh Allen. You know, like, well, which one's truly better and where do they rank and everything like that. Listen, I think the ceiling of Josh Allen, I think the sky's the limit. You know, I think you could eventually be talking about another Cleo Mack type of person with his physicality, his athleticism. It's just it jumps off the paper and it jumps off the film on you. Don't get me wrong. But with Nick Bosa right now, Brent, you talk about a guy who's putting on moves, who's making these, you know, drops in coverage and, and recognizing the receivers, making these plays like a 10 year vet, and he's only a rookie. Like, that's the difference. And I'm not saying that's what makes him a candidate for rookie of the year, but I'm just saying from what he brings to the team, what he brings to the 49ers, you have a guy who literally comes in out of college right away, you plug and play him as a starting defensive end, and he's not missing a beat. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Uh, all right, we're going to hit a break. When we come back, a uh, little LSU talk. Odell Beckham Jr., really not an LSU talk. It's more Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, really, in a sense, what is he thinking? And then he, there was like a simple battery warrant out for him, right? I get arrested. Did you see the video? Yeah. Check the video out, man. Yeah. And then, but, what, what? What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, let's get into it next. I, but like, I, I don't know what to even say, man. Let's just say, OBJ, what are we doing? Yeah. That's, that's and what there's I'm a saying. lot of different ways to go with it. Yeah. We'll talk about it next on ESPN 690. Like like us all on this journey of life, but if you'd ask my, my family and my people that know me, I, have, I am no different. So um, I'm certainly more focused this camp and a bit more aware. And, uh, I followed what I said I should do with this camp, and, and it's, it's it's helped me leaps and bounds. So my internal, I'm still the same, same young kid from, that I always am. Still, still a passionate young man, and still reaching for the stars and aspiring to do things that have never been done before. That's Conor McGregor. You bet. I'll tell you this. What do you got, Brent? If Cowboy Cerrone mm-hmm. was fighting Khabib, yeah. I could care less on Saturday. Fair enough. And Khabib's the champion. I know. Yeah. It's probably better, right? I mean, he beat him. Yeah, of course. So it might be a better fight. Correct. But that's what McGregor is to the sport. And, you know, we'll talk about that in a couple more minutes, but I do think that still resonates, at least for the casual. Now, Mm -hmm. I understand there's a big difference, and a lot of people, depending on what sport you're in, the diehard person, the person that knows the sport. Listen, that's not me. I'm not not claiming to be that guy. Mm -hmm. And, and so that person is always like, ah, whatever, you know, McGregor's this, McGregor's that, you sure. know, and he loves the X's and O's and the art of the uh, the fights. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, you could be like that because you know it all. 
um, what on, on MMA. But you also need the the me's of the world. Is my yeah. point. Right. Yeah. You, you need those diehards, but every sport needs the bandwagon fan, needs the, the casual fan to jump in for growth. Absolutely. Because it's like even if you have, say, there's a 100 of me that are just going to check this one out because of McGregor, well, I might be more apt to check out the next one or maybe an undercard that I saw and I like one of those fighters or, or something like that. Yeah. And even if there's only 20 of us that stick mm-hmm. out of the 100 that are watching – well, that's how you grow the sport. Without a doubt. You know, so that's why they're on ESPN right now. That's why. And yeah. so that's what McGregor means to UFC yeah. and what means to MMA, at least from my point of view. Yeah. Because I'm kind of one of those people. And sure. it's, not, it's hard to do that in sports because we either like, yeah, we like the big events, especially like the World Series or MLB, Stanley Cup playoffs, even though we don't follow a lot of hockey, yeah. we'll still watch that stuff because we're used to it and it's a big event we want to see it. Uh, MMA is not there yet. You're not yeah. going to get every casual fan watching McGregor and, and Cerrone Saturday mm-hmm. night, but you do have a chance to get someone like me yeah. that doesn't watch every weekend, yep. but might watch every three months. And, and and that's why this fight is so important, Brent. And and when you break down Conor McGregor, like listen, I mean, like, like you said, you're a very casual MMA guy, but you know who Conor McGregor is, right? And to me, Conor McGregor is one of my favorite fighters of all time, not necessarily for his skill set, which is you know pretty legit, obviously, but it's for how he changed the landscape. Conor McGregor was the paradigm shift, in my opinion, that put the UFC in another echelon. Because before Conor McGregor, you had guys like Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, and they were, quote-unquote, true martial artists. They were the most humble guys ever. They gave these very respectful interviews, and they had the skills to knock people out. And that was entertaining, and the diehard MMA fans tuned into that. Well, then enter this Irishman. Enter this guy who was just a different type of character. He was a guy that was brash, that had style, that would trash talk, and whatever he said happened. You would say, I'm going to knock you out in the first round, and what would happen? Conor McGregor knocked you out in the first round. And this kept on escalating and escalating and escalating until he became the biggest name in MMA. And that's what makes him so captivating, and that's why people can gravitate around him, especially in the entertainment era now, especially in the era of Twitter and Instagram, where we can see these 20-second clips where you see the Conor McGregor press conferences, right? You, you see him rocking these crazy mink coats with no shirt on underneath when he fought Floyd Mayweather. You see these crazy quotes about him and Jeremy Stevens going back and forth when all of a sudden Conor McGregor just goes, who the F is this guy? And like that shot off. So you have literally, in my opinion, too, with the sport of MMA now with ESPN and how it's transpired, you have kind of a dying star. Um, and I say that in the most respectful way with Conor McGregor because now there's another paradigm shift. Now there's the, the shift of the Jorge Masvidal's, of the Nate Diaz, guys that aren't necessarily the best speakers, guys that aren't necessarily even the best promoters, but they're guys that the casual fan can relate to. People can't relate to Conor McGregor, okay? No one's making a billion dollars off whiskey like he is, okay? No one's rocking mink coats and rocking these tattoos and these gold chains like Conor McGregor is. He's almost larger than life. He is like the Ric Flair of MMA. And to me, that only goes as long as you keep knocking people out. Because once people start to see, well, this guy is human. Yes, this guy's put on this pedestal, but he's losing, and he's losing, and he's losing. Not only does that hurt his, obviously, his brand and, you know, his greatness, but it also affects the UFC a little bit because now that's still their cash cow. Not only that, but he got stopped the last time he out. Did. And on top of that, it's a, it's equal to kind of the Ronda Rousey story from that. 
is. from that sense. Yeah. And as soon as she lost one, you're like, uh oh. Then it lost, then it was that was it. Like yeah. the story ended. It mm-hmm. was over. It, it's like there's no like to be continued. There's no here comes the next one. Yeah. That was in its own echelon. Mm-hmm. And McGregor feels that way. I mean, it, in not to always link MMA to boxing, but I mean, he is kind of this sport's Tyson. Sure. In a sense, you know, yeah. I mean, and not that complete package because Tyson's like one of the I mean, he's such a great fighter, he was. but the character added to the fighter. Yeah. So from McGregor's standpoint, the character right now, if like if you had like the video game out yeah. and, you know, the energy and the power and the and the whatever skill set that, you know, you got the bar graph stuff. Well, his his character mm-hmm. is higher than almost his skill set, even Correct. though it's good. Fantastic, but your skill set yeah. better stay somewhere near there or you said it. Or, or the character goes away. That, that's perfectly put, Brent. And then on the other side of that cage is Donald Cerrone then. And what makes Donald Cerrone so appealing? Listen, Donald Cerrone, he's won a couple. He's lost a couple. He's been knocked out in devastating fashion. But you know who Cowboy Cerrone is. I'm sure you've heard of him before. Yeah. And a lot of casual MMA fans have heard of Cowboy Cerrone. And what makes him so appealing? And, and why, you know, I'm like I said, this fight's important because this fight's obviously important to him. But if he loses... The brand doesn't go anywhere because what makes Cowboy Cerrone so great and so celebrated, it's the fact like he will fight whoever, whenever, pick the date. He'll fight on a week's notice, which he's done before. He'll fight on three weeks notice on the grandest of stages, which he's done before. And it doesn't matter if he gets beat. So be it. But he's just he's this crazy guy that people can relate to. And once again, it's kind of that, that new era. It's kind of that new thing where people are like, you know what? I can relate to this guy. This guy wants to go, you know, bungee jumping before his fight. This guy wants to go jet skiing three days before a fight in brazil my, by all means man then have fun and do it it's it's a guy that loves to live life and just so happens that he gets one of his kicks off of fighting people in, in an mma cage and he's also probably the most decorated terms in the ufc where he has the most finishes ever in ufc history all right we're gonna t- i'm gonna get your thoughts on the actual fight tomorrow sure. to save that but one quick thought about that yeah uh, in terms of relating to cowboy cerrone I can certainly do that because the cover story on ESPN is this, the incredible true story of Donald Cowboy Cerrone's body. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what the hell does that even mean? Yeah. What, I, I, I mean, I gotta read it. Yeah. I haven't read the article, but it's check a it cover out. story. I'm not gonna spoil. Yeah, I, I've read it. It's been talked about. Just check it out, man. It'll, right. Yeah, but um, is it fascinating? It's it's well, after all the guys been through. Yeah, I mean, listen, you don't have the most knockouts in UFC history and take some bumps along the way. Yeah, let's just say. And I that. saw him. I think it was on first take yesterday. I think it was, and he was. He doesn't think the end of the. He's like 36 years old, no. but the end of the line's not coming. Well, and listen, and and they always say that Father Time's undefeated. And especially in the fight game, you want to see guys, well, maybe it's time for you to walk away. And it's funny because one of the cool things about Cowboy Cerrone, too, where people can relate to him so much is, and he's, he's admitted this many times, when he walks to the, to the cage, he said he's frightened. It's the scariest experience for him. He, he's, he says he can't sleep the night before. He says he's downright 100% scared to walk in that cage. And he says, I don't know why I do it, but it's just that rush. So from that perspective, man, it's easy to say, all right, well, you're getting up there in age now. You know, you're taking some vicious knockouts. That's cool. But with his personality, man, like he's just he's not even chasing so much the fame. He's just chasing those adrenaline rush types of things. And unfortunately, right now for him, MMA is that thing that kind of pushes him over the top. All right. More on this tomorrow in terms of the fight, because I want to get yeah. your expertise on that even though I probably won't know what the hell you're talking about <laughs> half the time. Uh, but i got a lot of quick hitters to get to before sure. the end of the show uh, today. Let's do balling and falling quick because this one's fantastic. Here's my balling, all right? Did you see the uh, back and forth between the golfers, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka? I haven't seen it. Well, DeChambeau 
<laughs> Kepka, the story here by Bob Harrigan of ESPN says Kepka thinks DeChambeau plays slow and has said so on, on several occasions. So they've had some like history mm-hmm. of criticism. And, uh, DeChambeau's redoing his body. Like he's into like the, the big muscle thing sure. going. He's trying to get buff. I respect it. I respect it, man. What a stupid word that is. Step that, that, I just step that brand up a little bit. So he says, yeah, I weigh more than him right now, considerably more, DeChambeau was quoted as saying in Golf Digest. Did you see the ESPN body issue? He didn't have any abs. I have abs. <laughs> he says about Kepka. Kepka responded on Twitter saying he's too short of a six-pack, and he had a photo of his four major championships. <laughs> Great rebuttal. I love it, that's man. That's balling that, for that's me, man. That's some right there. Flex of the day, too. Flex of the day, everything <laughs> of the day. And by the way, I love golf. I really yeah. do, and I respect the heck out of the golfers. But these little feuds in golf, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. You know, if you get a feud in the NFL, a feud in the MMA, heck, even a feud in baseball where a guy's throwing 99 miles an hour. Yeah. This is an individual sport. Unless you're going to sit on the green and start hitting each other with golf clubs and golf balls. <laughs> these little quotes on Twitter and Twitch and everywhere else. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. I mean, you, like, you're not doing the sport any favors. I mean, come on now. It's so petty and dumb. And yeah, yeah. It, it just doesn't feel like anything and, and Kepka's like kind of the tough guy looking guy in golf of course man i wouldn't mess with him but the uh, little spats at golf are silly it, yeah. it's just dull it's like not even well, worth but that was a great comeback by Kepka. No, was, see it, it, it's the spats that drive me crazy because like we see and i, I compare this to nascar right like someone puts somebody in the wall and it's like oh here we go. Like, I'm going to see in the pit, and let's get it on. And then, like, these guys confront each other, and there's a punch thrown, but it's like a sl- – because like, they don't know how to fight, dude. So it's like you build up all this aggression and all this animosity towards somebody, and you finally face them down, and you see this punch, and it's like a 50-year-old dad in Tommy Bahama <laughs> jeans or in shorts, you know, like at a bar. And, like, it's just nobody wants to see that, man. Like, it's it's just weird. It's a weird – That's a good call. But this is even worse because yeah. at least you're going 200 miles an hour with however – Sure. Power car that's and you can kill point. each other yeah. in that sport. That's a fantastic uh, you point. Know, I yeah. mean, you can build up that kind of adrenaline. You're never walking. <laughs> you know, no matter how bad it is, you're shaking hands with this guy on the 18th green, regardless. <laughs> yeah. You're not throwing a punch. It's a good point. It's a good point. So just, just stop it, yeah. Bryson DeChambeau, yeah. with his calculator out. It's <laughs> now in a spat with Brooks Kepka. I don't even want to uh, see that fight. Man, Brooks, your branding. <laughs> I, I, I gave Brooks Kepka advice for his branding. I wish you'd listen to me a little bit. Brent, my ball in real quick. Listen, Richard Sherman and his contract negotiation. Do you know a lot about this? Because I, I had no idea. I, I saw it, was, it came out a couple of weeks ago yeah. with him kind of, you know, well, standing up saying, "Hey, I hit all my incentives." So who says guys can't negotiate well, their own he contract? Actually, he just hit another one. Oh, he supposedly, did. Yeah, oh, he hit another I guess, incentive. Yeah, another incentive. But here's what essentially happened: Richard Sherman, when he left the Seahawks, chose to go to the 49ers. He didn't have an agent. He literally negotiated the contract himself. And in the contract. I forgot how much was actually guaranteed, but most of it was incentive-based. And the media, um, other players, ripped him for it, right? Because you essentially thought you could, you're could, you smarter than everybody else in the room, and you negotiate your own contract. Well, now, um, according to NBCBayArea.com, he's actually made more with his incentives, which he's obviously maxed out now. He's made more with his incentives than he did for his signing bonus. So basically what, what that tells me, Brent, is, 
it's the ultimate story of a guy believing in himself so much where people are saying, well, he's hurt coming off that injury. Yeah. Does he still have it? Did he kind of benefit from that Seattle defense of all the greatness around him? Or is Richard Sherman really a good player? Richard Sherman took it upon himself to said, I'm going to prove you guys all wrong. Check this out. And now I got all my incentives. I'm making a great chunk of money because of the way he's playing. I've seen this back and forth on social media, and I, I'm not smart enough to figure it all out. Who's right? Who's wrong? Sure. But I get both sides, and I get Richard Sherman should be proud of that. He should be. He hit his incentives. He negotiated his own deal. He's a smart guy. Yeah. He's Stanford. A Stanford guy, smart guy. And he's a really good football player. But I also, I think the way his tone was, was kind of like, screw all you guys because you said I shouldn't negotiate my deal and I should get an agent. Now, all it almost felt like now all you guys should do this. See, you guys should do this. You can save your money. I'm not so sure that's the case. He gambled on himself and he won. Congratulations. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That, that That's great for him. But he also put a lot at risk. Now, you'd already made a lot of money in the in the NFL too. But you put a lot at risk in this game if you're if all you're worried about is hitting incentives in a game where heck Half the league gets hurt halfway through the season anyhow. So I saw the back and forth, and I think both sides had a point. Uh, he should be proud of what he did, and, and it's pretty cool. And, and I think that's – I guess I would ask you this. I don't know enough about it, but you do. You know there's a lot involved in a player's contract, and Absolutely. there can really be a lot. Like I don't even know if player, half the players understand them. That's why they get agents. The agent yeah. usually helps you. Yeah. Like would you seriously – why you feel like you'd be good to negotiate your own deal – Yeah. Would you seriously do this over again, maybe for an extra million dollars because I did it myself, or would you still lean on your agent? No, I mean, honestly, if it's up to me, like, I would lean on my agent, man. Like, I know guys like Teddy Bruschi, you know, did it themselves. It's just, there's a lot of paperwork, and it's a lot of time and energy, especially when you're young in the league, that I just didn't have time to deal with. And it's funny you mentioned, like, the the perks and the, you know, hitting, like, your marks and everything. I'll never forget, man. So there's one thing in, in, um, in a lot of contracts, it's like your rookie clause. So basically, depending where you're drafted is, there's an escalator where, depending where you're drafted, if you start a certain amount of games, you get a bonus, Yeah. right? So my rookie year, I was a fifth-round pick. I think I started in eight or nine games. Oh, you hit that bonus. But here's the thing, though. So after the season, my agent's like, I got some good news and bad news. I'm like, all right, so the good news first. Well, the good news is you're going to make more on your escalator bonus from you know being the rookie and playing in nine games, starting those, than you probably did the whole season. I'm like... Oh, hell yeah. Like, hey, we're, we're going to Ruth Chris tonight. Let's go, man. All the trimmings. What's the bad news? Bad news was the lockout's coming up. You don't get any of that money. Oh, that's right. I was that's like, right. And you never did. Never did. Never touched it. But it is what it is. That's amazing that they didn't have to go back and give that to you. Right? What are you going to do, man? You're probably not willing to share what how much money that is. I mean, we're talking six figures kind of the money. Yeah. Like lots of six or a good amount of six figures. Hey, it's a lot of Ruth, Chris. Hey, let's just say, what, <laughs> I, was, what was worse, not getting that money or spilling Chipotle today? Well, considering <laughs> I could have still, if I got that money when I got it, I would still be meal prepping with Ruth, Chris. I would literally come with little <laughs> containers of filet mignon and lobster bisque and Caesar salads every single day. Still. That's BS, though. Have they changed that? Here's what you should do. No, yeah, it's done now because the new, I mean, yeah, the the guys get their their escalators again. Yeah. No, okay, but you missed it out because they went on a lockout. Correct. My point is we should, you should, really. Brent Brent wants 20%, I can already tell. Don't even want anything. But that's wrong. So you should (laughs) pave the way or at least help pave the way. Say, hey, the next CBA that goes in there, 
Yeah. For those guys, if, if there's a lockout in 2021, yeah. and, and maybe this really wouldn't go into effect until 2030, sure. but you got to work it into this new CBA where if you get the escalator bonus, you get the damn escalator bonus. doesn't matter like if you style, go on a lockout man. or not. That should that's, be worked in there. You know what? That's, they sh- that, that's if a good point. If you don't get it until you go back to work, that's fine. No, but, but you I, should be able to get it. I never mean, that's got like, it. It's not the same, but it almost feels like the same. Like if I had a pension for the last 15 years and then we got sold, you just yanking the pension out for me, which happens. Yeah. It does happen. But that's BS. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was what it was, man. Plus, I want to go to Ruth's Chris. <laughs> Don't we all, dude? Don't we all? You, you, no, that's crap, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, you well, got me fired up about that. I think we should fix that. Well, and listen, Come you on, know Drew Rosenhaus. Well, and listen, from my standpoint, like, yeah, it, it is what it is, man. I'm like, I didn't get it. That's cool. But you do bring up a good point. And I think I'd, I would be doing myself a disservice. And then I follow up a disservice if I didn't at least kind of ask the questions of, well, when the next lockout comes, are these guys going to get compensated? Because they should. Absolutely. Right? They absolutely should. should. You so, think about the you know Jags what? rookie class. They had yeah. the fifth most snaps yeah. out of anybody in the NFL. They are going to get – Gardner Minshew oh, yeah. is going to get nice little escalator bonus. money. Yeah. Yep. And he should. Absolutely. You but if they it. went on a lockout, yeah. you're telling me he wouldn't have. Yeah. No, you, you bring up a great point, man, and maybe I, I should talk to some people and see what's up with that. By the way, I didn't get to Fallen real quick. My yeah. Fallen was Rosenhaus split ways with Antonio Brown. Yeah, real, real quick with that, man. So Rosenhaus came out and said, listen, he's concerned about Antonio Brown's well-being. Until he gets help, he's not going to work with him anymore. NFL, this is your opportunity. If his own agent, who he can make money, is coming out and saying, this guy needs help, well, then make up a rule for Antonio Brown where he can't get another team unless he sees somebody. Yeah. You have to do that. you got to protect the player in that protect way. Protect him, please, that. man. You, you guys always preach player, player safety. Well, then make an example right here. All right. Uh, one last thought. Uh, uh, Odo Beckham Jr., Should he have, was that all about himself? I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, because what right person's going to... Listen, I always have the, the players back, but you can't go up to police officer and slap him on the rear end, man. That's just, that's or, not how things... Or hand student-athletes well, money out of the too, field. That, too. That's, that's not how society works, man. All right? Like, I think the police officer thinks a little bit overblown. Oh, see, I think, I think that was worse than the, the you money. You did? Oh, yeah. You can't slap his police, man. I don't know. <laughs> Where I come from, you can't do that. I, I'm just surprised that it took two days for something to come out and then some reaction to that, I guess. Yeah. You know, I thought there'd be some immediate reaction. It didn't seem like there was. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the whole thing is all about Odell Beckham. It is, right? Man. It speaks to the entitlements. That's of the, all we're talking about. Just we're not talking about sometimes, man. Just talking about Ed Orgeron. Just be happy for your team, man, and let them do their thing. All right, I'm going to blend in at the River City Rumble tonight. J-U-U-N-F, uh, 7 o'clock tip. I'm going to do some TV over there. I'll see you at Swisher Gymnasium, 650 on Fox 30. Have a good night, everybody. We'll party tomorrow here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.